Good morning, everyone. It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. A beautiful day in the neighborhood. Will you be mine? Will you be mine? For those of you that grew up on Mr. Rogers, boys and girls, the word for the day is sell. Can you say that? Sell. I know on Wall Street it's a four-letter word, but that's the kind of mood I'm in right now. At any rate, we have a very special guest on today. Probably most of you have never heard of him. My uh, good friend Albert, I'll let him uh, talk a little bit about himself, his last name or whatever. Albert is a uh, truly a, a citizen, global citizen, globally of the investment world. Um, he is a French citizen living in Israel. Um, he, uh, I've known Albert actually going back to the late eighties or early nineties. I think it was the eighties actually. He's very quantitatively driven. We all have opinions. He has his as well. But what I love about Albert, he's a great macro thinker. And I think one really needs to pay special attention to his message. As the saying goes, liars figure, but figures don't lie. And the financial pornography he's going to share with you today is just mind-boggling. Uh, I will be posting these slides up um, momentarily. A few things about where we are. Uh, you know, this week was kind of monumental. If you look at my Twitter feed, you'll see in the last few days, I put up a feed, I think it was yesterday, where I was referring to the so-called triple demerit scenario. And maybe, Albert, um, in your remarks, you could go back to the good old days in Japan we had, where we had the triple merit scenario where you had falling interest rates. I think it was a falling dollar and um, uh, uh, falling oil prices provided a very favorable backdrop for Japanese corporations. And that was the backbone for the liquidity-driven market we saw in Japan you know, which catapulted Japanese banks to 100 times earnings and 10 times book value. That was truly one for the ages. And not to scare all the women and children in the room, but we have a similar development now in the United States and in markets globally. History doesn't repeat itself, it rhymes. And yes, it's interesting to think about how this is different from Japan. And usually if I mention, if I invoke Japan, people go nuts. But the whole idea about this liquidity-driven market that's, that's blown valuations to the moon, that, that's the key point, really. And Albert will speak to that. So anyway, coming back to my Twitter rant from this week, I pointed out how, you know, despite concerns of a slowdown, you know, everyone's become a, an armchair yield curve expert now. You know, first, they had their career in uh, being an armchair um, epidemiologist. More recently, they've all become foreign relations experts. Now they're on to yield curve. And yield curve to me is this all this chat about the yield curve. People don't know what the hell they're talking about. And we can get into that later. But at any rate, despite the uh, flattening yield curve, fears of a slowdown, fears of what might happen in the Ukraine, you've seen interest rates march relentlessly upwards the 10-year clearing 280 this past week. And I believe rates are going much higher. I've, I've spoken about that before. I'm happy to talk about that later in the show. Oil prices, we had the predictable 
tape bomb risk from the SPR release. That's now behind us. What's Biden going to do now? Release another 180 million barrels? Don't think so. The market's called this bluff and they're seeing right through it. And, you know, if you think we're going to get a recession, okay, fine. All prices are going to But my own belief is no. I think we've got to slow down. I don't know we'll get a recession. That's not my central case right now. That can change. But the real story behind the oil price is not the events in the Ukraine. I mean, oil's been going up for, you know, a year and a half, two years. It's got nothing to do with Ukraine. It has all to do with um, the lack of a supply response. And that dynamic has not changed. So you've had... Again, you had the dollar going up, you've had oil prices going up, sorry, you had interest rates going up, oil prices going up, and you've had the dollar strengthening. You know, the dollar is, as the often overused phrase goes, in the cleanest shirt in a, in, a, in a dirty laundry pile or whatever. And so that constellation, rising oil prices, rising interest rates, rising dollar, that is unambiguously negative for risk assets in U.S. equities. If you, if you feel otherwise, bring it, because the facts speak for themselves. So I think, I think again, the equity market continues to represent, or to offer return-free risk, very limited upside, huge downside. On top of it, the force is now with you. The Fed wants the market to go down. They need, they want to tighten financial conditions. Part of that is getting equity prices lower. And so rather than people, you know, in the years past pointing to the idea of a Fed put, and it's completely the opposite now. It's a Fed call. So you've got a Fed call. They always say, don't fight the Fed. Yeah, well, the Fed wants the market to go down. Like, what is it you don't understand about this? Stay with the trend. You have a series of higher, lower highs and lower lows. Michael Howell has been in this room numerous times. We've tweeted at quite a bit, you know, the liquidity conditions, the tide's going out. My Australian case is, is, is receding. I hope Shrub will talk later. He, he always keeps putting out the monthly flows. If I'm not mistaken, the flow data was actually negative for the first time in a while this past week. So I think, you know, unless something changes right here, right now, I think the table is set for a pretty big decline in the equity market. I'm not saying it's today or tomorrow. And yeah, you know, someone will come on. The market will probably go up this week. And someone will come and say, see, you a baby. And it went up. Dude. I've been calling out Kathy Wood in the ARC trade, long energy short Kathy Wood, for almost a year now. That trade's up 200%. So don't come to me with your week-to-week daily nonsense. We're here to make money. We're here to invest. We're not here to speculate. All right, enough of that. I'd like to introduce Albert. Albert, I don't have the slides up. As you start talking, I will put the slides up. Albert um, is, um, he, he, he invests globally. He's, you know, worked in London, worked in the States, worked in France, worked in Israel. He understands global markets and he's very quantitatively oriented. So what I really like about Albert is the way he puts together the macro with the quantitative. And he also has individual ideas. And yeah, he he can put a narrative with the ideas, which he does. But as opposed to yours truly, where it's, you know, I have an opinion and I search for the, the quantitative justification it's a little bit tongue-in-cheek. Uh, uh, Albert's views are really rooted uh, in um, uh, uh, rooted in fundamentals. And so um, here he comes. You know, it's funny. I got I got two different people up here. I'm not quite sure who is who. Hey, 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 hey Mr. Billy Bucks, is that you? Yeah, that's me. 
Yeah, Mr. Billy Bucks. Who's the guy next to you, Dan Allen? Is that you as well? No, that's not me. Actually, that's a friend of mine. I don't know. He's not allowed oh, to speak. Well, he's, not, he's not allowed to speak. I know. I, I don't want him to speak. In fact, when I first saw I got confused because it says French citizen, U.S. born. And then I looked at the picture. I'm like, that guy's much better looking than you. So I can't be uh, you. So, I, so I was going to say the other way around. I'm much better looking than he is. <laughs> and he's, 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 he's fatter as well. <laughs> and he can't, he can't speak. He can't speak. So I can say whatever I want. Oh, you know what? You know what? You know what? Uh, to make you, to make you, do you want me to put him back in the audience so he can't speak? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Anyway, you know he will behave because if he opens his mouth and takes shots at you, I'll throw him back in the audience. We'll leave him up here for now. So, 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 Albert, did you hear my whole introduction, or because I only just saw you show up now? Did you hear uh, my I, whole introduction? Uh, I did. Thank, thanks a lot. Yeah. Okay. Great. Um, so, uh, so the floor is yours. I will start putting the slides up, um, and they'll they'll be up shortly. So um, okay. the floor is yours. Why don't you just tell tell folks about what you do? And I, I didn't really mention Albert runs. A, he's, he's a great investor. He runs a research service as well. And so if you're interested in his remarks, he can be reached via email or Twitter. So, uh, Albert, maybe the floor is yours. Talk about a little who you are, what you do, and get into your views. And uh, as you're speaking, I will put up the slides. The floor is yours, Albert. Okay, great. Thank you. Thanks a lot for, uh, for the intro and letting, letting, uh, let me speak. On this great uh, forum, um, actually, so we we met uh, you and I met at the end of the eighties, uh, just as the uh, the Japanese market was uh, you know was going crazy, and um, you know just a few remarks on uh, on that. But you know the the main thing is you know in Japan if you were you know if you were six months early shorting this market you you were dead, um, and I, I guess that was uh, you know that was a very good uh, you know training. You know, trying to short these uh, these Japanese stocks. Uh, you know, very good training for you know for the let's say the uh, the bubble of 2000. And there as well, I guess if you were you know a little bit early, you, you could be dead as well. The interesting thing is, you know, so you know we've been you know you and I we've been through you know Japan and you know and all the other bubbles. Uh, what this one feels a bit different, I feel, because the uh, you know it, it feels like you know being a little bit early. Uh, I mean, first of all, it feels like being a little bit early is not as painful as being early in 2000 and being early in Japan. And uh, and also this one, you know, there's a saying, you know, nobody's going to ring the bell at the top. Uh, but on this one, it looks like the bell has been rung and it's been, you know, it's been rung, you know, fairly loudly. And, you know, I guess the reason, you know, I still try to understand how come the market is not, uh, you know, is not going down much further. Um, you know, one of the reasons being that, you know, you don't you don't kill a bull market, a 40 year bull market in, you know, in, in one day or in one week or in one month. I mean, there's a, a huge amount of people that believe that, you know, this, uh, you know, this uh, this market is going to go on forever. Um, and and therefore, it's got a lot of staying power. But as you mentioned before, the um, you know, the uh, the factors, uh, the negative factors are so much out in the open. That it's uh, you know it's I think it's very very difficult here to be uh, you know to be wrong on what's uh, you know what's next. Uh, in fact, you know I don't see any scenario where the market could be you know certainly could be making new new highs, and certainly in terms of valuation. Um, on this you know on this intro, so you know just going back to what I do or what I've been doing, I've I've been in financial markets since uh, since 1984, uh, which is kind of scary. Um, 
have um, have been running hedge funds from uh, from the late uh, early early 90s until until 2006 and then I sold my hedge fund group uh, to ABN Amro Bank and and since then after a long break I've been running a research advisory uh, firm uh, mainly advising some of the largest uh, hedge funds um, in the US and the UK and uh, some in Asia and Brazil and as well some uh, high net worth uh, family offices in uh, in Geneva, um, and the um, uh, I mean what what uh, I mean the main thing I'm doing is uh, actually I mean we've got a huge database uh, screening thousands of companies, uh, as uh, Josh said uh, I have a quant approach, and I try to I basically get my 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 macro ideas from you know from bottom up analysis of valuation dislocations and stuff like that, and um, we, you know we're looking through valuation dislocations. In terms of uh, in terms of markets between each other, in terms of sectors, and in terms of uh, in terms of companies, and uh, you know that's been very uh, very helpful uh, throughout the years. Uh, I must say that you know getting older, um, I allow myself you know even to have top down ideas, uh, you know more often than not actually, and you know which I try to confirm, you know with my my quant analysis. Uh, but yeah, I mean I, sp I spent most of the time actually looking at uh, at individual stock. Uh, situations, uh, but again, having been in the market for uh, for such a long time, you you can't escape having you know having your own views and and you know and putting them to work. Uh, so anyway, so that's uh, that's the intro. Um, so George, where do you want me to to go? So Albert, maybe just start speaking to the uh, graphs that you have, and starting off with the first one where you have inflation causes. Uh, yeah. PE dilution. So I'm I'm putting them in the order that you gave them to me, Albert. So go ahead. Okay. All right. Okay. So this uh, you know this uh, first chart uh, on George Speed. I mean it, you know is uh, is showing basically the earnings yield, which is the inverse of the price earnings ratio, with the CPI, and uh, you know that chart goes back to uh, 1995, and I guess if you are going further, you know the um, I mean you would see probably the same the same correlation, but basically you know the earnings yield. Well, the inverse of the P is is moving step in step with the inflation rate, with the CPI, and and you know we, we and basically when inflation goes up, you know the the uh, earnings yield goes up, m meaning the P goes down, and vice versa. And so, you know what we see in 2021 and uh, and so far this year is that, you know the CPI has as you know has um, exploded uh, upwards. And the earnings yield, uh, you know, still needs to uh, still needs to reflect that. And so, you know, I mean, what seems to be certain is that the uh, you know the uh, the increase in uh, inflation, you know, has to cause a deflation of the price earnings ratio. Um, okay, that's that's uh, uh, I mean that's very clear from uh, from this chart, and it, it actually makes uh, you know makes a lot of uh, a lot of sense. Um, the other chart below is uh, is kind of similar. It shows the uh, the, the uh, CRB index, the commodities index, with the earnings yield, and it's the same story. Uh, when commodities are going up, the earnings yield goes up, meaning you know the P has to come down and vice versa. And so, you know, basically the uh, you know the stock market is not you know has not been adjusting um, to the uh, to the increased yeah, in uh, in um, the patient, right? right. So, you, you, Albert, Albert, let me just stop you right there for one for one second. The bulls would say, "Well, that's because the inflation is transitory, and you're just taking the CPI, which is 
you know, short term, next 12 months or whatever, what we've seen the last 12 months. And actually, if you look at longer term over the next 10 years, five, 10 years, and you look at the five year forward, blah, 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 the market, you know, the market's projecting inflation is only going to be uh, 20 or 3 percent five years from now. So really, it's a duration mismatch, Albert. You're taking a short term CPI thing and comparing it, you know, to a long duration asset. So, so there's a question here. So doesn't it? So if the market's wrong, but let's say let's say let's say the inflation expectations are correct and that inflation will come back down. Um, would that make you less bearish or put it another way? If the market's wrong, then inflation is going to remain subdued. Then, in fact, inflation is you know, going to be going to be high for a sustained period of time. Then the equity market is, has a real problem. So how do you think about, you know, the sort of this BS transitory argument? And anyone who says it's transitory, and by the way, I, I'm going to go nuts. If anyone brings up used cars, used car prices in the March CPI numbers, they're going to be permanently banned from this room. And the reason I say that is those jackasses that have been saying that on CNBC for a year now, they've been completely wrong. And as a matter of fact, if you look, if I'm not mistaken, if you look at the latest used car data on uh, car gurus, it's actually going back up again. So people who think this whole thing hinges upon used car prices, they're completely missing the story. Sorry about it, Albert. I had, just, I had to just throw that in there. So what is your thought about, you know, short term duration, um, uh, short term fluctuations in inflation vis-a-vis the valuation on a longer term asset of equities? I guess that's the question. Okay, so two two things. I mean, first of all, the uh, I mean, if you if you look at the earnings yield itself, you know, or the the P, you know, we we we're not talking about you know, uh, I mean, we're talking about a market which is overvalued in absolute terms. You know, in any case, I mean, the you know the uh, the price earnings ratio, uh, especially when you look at it uh, cyclical cyclically adjusted, you know, is just uh, you know is just sitting at a you know at a very very high. Uh, historically high level, uh, you know, comparable to uh, 2000 and and other, uh, you know, sort of peak in the market. So you're, you're already looking at, the, you know, at, at a market which is extremely expensive, no matter, you know, no matter the underlying um, economic uh, data. Uh, the transit, transitory argument, I mean, I, you know, I don't have a clue. Uh, but what's, you know, what's certain is that the, you know, the transitory argument was one which kind of died in the fourth quarter of uh, of last year, um, and and in fact, you know, the Fed, you know, pivoted out of this uh, transitory thing, you know, way before the uh, you know the invasion of Ukraine by Russia. So I think it's kind of a gimme that, you know, I don't know if inflation is going to remain at seven percent, eight percent, or go down to five or four or whatever. But certainly, it's not going to two, let's say two percent, you know, which used to be the old target. Uh, you know, any anytime soon. And the question is, you know, what kind of interest rates, you, you know, you need to, um, you know, to um, to tame, you know, an inflation rate, which is at, you know, four, five, six, seven, you know, 10, you know, whatever, whatever the number. And and the point is, you know, it's certainly not a quarter point, you know, uh, rising interest in short term rates from, you know, zero to point two five. Or a series of you know uh, rises you know of, of uh, half a point, and in fact you know the the market I mean the Fed is behind the curve and this is what you know you're seeing the adjustment at at the uh, long end of the market. This is why the you know the bond market is collapsing, and you know at some point the you know the Fed is going to meet you know the the um, you know the long end of the uh, of the yield curve. I think the you know the Fed fund. So you know i think whether it's transitory or, or not transitory is kind of irrelevant um i mean right now there's a huge dislocation 
you know, nobody knows whether, you know, where inflation, inflation is going to go. But, you know, between, between the uh, supply constraints, the, uh, you know, this invasion of Ukraine, the sanctions which are unlikely to, you know, un unless Putin gets, uh, you know, uh, gets uh, out of the picture, but the, the sanctions are probably there for, you know, a number of years, probably. Uh, so the supply side of, you know, of the energy and commodity complex is going to be constrained. Um, we don't even, you know, we don't even hear anything about what's going on in China. But, you know, some of the largest cities in China are completely locked down right now. And nobody is talking about that because, you know, the, the, the main news is about uh, Ukraine. Uh, but, you know, it looks like the supply shock is, you know, is far from uh, from over. And the question is probably, you know, how long time it's going to take for demand you know, to go down and for, you know, for uh, economies to get in, in a recession, you know, so that uh, so that inflation starts going down and uh, and interest rates starts Albert, so you're, you're kind of we're on the same page here. Unless Jerome Powell, what you're saying basically is I, I think someone said this the other day, unless you're Jerome, unless, unless Jerome Powell discovers his inner Paul Volcker. Unless your yeah. own pal discovers his Interpol voker, inflation is going to be higher than the, 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 than people would would want. In other words, I don't. I, again, the line I've used and you echoed it. The Fed is so far behind the curve they can't see the curve. So, in your view, unless they really, really get tough, and for political reasons, I think that's very unlikely. Inflation is likely to be a continuing problem. Is that is that kind of what you're saying? Yeah. Uh, although you know, I wonder if they're not going to be quite aggressive on the uh, on tightening. For at least, you know, for at least one reason, and that's, I think, I, you know, I, I think they would like interest rates to be, uh, I mean, short-term rates to be as high as possible, as quickly as possible, uh, because then, you know, then they can uh, decrease interest rates, you know, when the, when the economy gets in, uh, you know, gets in trouble. I mean, right, right. now, the Fed, the Fed doesn't have any, you know, any, any bullets, uh, yes. you know, to curb, uh, I mean, to, to, to curb a recession. And the, you know, the federal government is, is uh, you know, it's, it's even worse. I mean, you know, they, they, they can't, you know, uh, they can't spend more. Um, they, they, they're also going to have to increase uh, defense spending, you know, considerably. So they can't give away money the same way they've done it, you know, dur during COVID. So really, the, you know, the only one that could do something is, is, uh, is the Fed. But the Fed is a, a bystander right now in terms of, you know, if a recession was going to come. So I think they want to, they probably want to jack up interest rates you know, uh, higher and faster, um, so that they can, so that they can backtrack, you know, when, when that will be necessary. And, and, you know, what I think is whether, you know, the recession is going to come before, you know, before the inflation starts to, right. to go down. Yeah, or, no, or not. Agreed. Agreed. Okay. So we've gone through the first two slides where you show, and just, if you can follow, I know it's a little bit hard, but we've gone through the your first two slides where you show the CPI racing ahead and how, Higher inflation is going to call multiples contraction. Now let's move on because you got a lot of information to get across here. Okay, okay now on so, slide three, you're talking about profit margins are likely to be squeezed, and also yeah, so you're showing if, graph if, back. Yeah. If, if we if we look at this uh, at this chart, which which shows the uh, you know the S and P, and and the blue line is the enterprise value to sales ratio for the S and P or the price to sales ratio, and the uh, the the green line is the um, is uh, operating margins. Now, you know the the you know P is one thing. You know, the other thing which is more important, I think, is enterprise value to sales. Um, and in fact, the P is a function of the enterprise value to sales and, and profit margins. 
you know, one thing which, which um, you know, if I, if I go back to, uh, you know, the market has been overvalued and it's been overvalued for, for years. I mean, it's not, it's not new. Um, and, you know, personally, I thought the COVID, COVID crisis was, gonna, was going to be the thing that would, you know, that would uh, make it. I mean, that would uh, break the market. And, and it didn't. Um, it didn't because the, uh, the uh, you know, uh, interest rates went down to zero again. Uh, the federal government, I mean, not only in the U.S., but all over, you know, the, all over Europe, Japan, you know, um, government started to, uh, to give away money and so on. And so, the, you know, not only the market went up, you know, tremendously, you know, from the lows of, uh, of, the, of the COVID crisis, but the most amazing thing is that, you know, companies were able to, to, to uh, rebuild their margins out of the, you know, first quarter uh, depression, recession, and not only that, these margins were, you know, reached uh, reached um, another uh, all-time high um, at the beginning of, you know, during 2021. Um, again, you know, because of uh, of the various, uh, you know, economic forces that are at work right now, inflation, um, you know, especially, you know, I mean, the rise of um, of um, um, you know the PPI, producer price index uh, components. Um, you know all these things. I mean, it it would be extraordinary if uh, if um, you know companies were able to maintain their profit margins at a very you know at the current very high level. I mean, I think at best, at worst, they did. Well, at right. best, I don't know what to say. Okay. I mean, they, you know, they would go down to twenty twenty. But I think, okay. I think you know, if we get a recession or if we get a major slowdown, the uh, you know profit margins have to come down. And if you if you have the you know the uh, profit margins coming down with enterprise value to sales at uh, you know at uh, an extremely elevated level. I mean, this is basically the recipe for for a huge P contraction. Albert, Albert, Albert. I'm just get, as bearish as I was before this call started. I'm getting more bearish as as, as you speak. So I would just urge you. I'm, I'm putting. We're getting the slides up here. Uh, I'm putting them up, and Sohaven Turn is putting them up in the nest. I think we've got about 16 up so far, and you've got a lot of slides. So. Um, You've got so much information to give us. I would just say we probably should try to move along a little faster. So you've got yeah. the great slide of the profit margins. You should have the consumer sentiments falling apart. Um, now, the, I don't have to see the next group of slides. You, ha you have charts of, uh, of, uh, of gold, oil and gas, Brazil, et cetera, et cetera. So I don't know where you want to go with this, my friend. Um, okay, so let's let let let's make it short um, on 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 you know on the issues of the market and then where to hide. Okay, so I mean basically the uh, I mean it's it's uh, it's a gimme that the markets are you know are very overvalued. The uh, the most overvalued space is uh, is uh, large cap large cap uh, tech, and and I have a few charts there in particular. You know, I show the uh, EVT. Yeah, yeah, okay. exactly. Yeah, exactly. You've got you've got one chart. Let me just help you with this a little because it's awkward. I think you know. What I think we'll do when this call's over. We're gonna put all your stuff in a PowerPoint and put it up in a neater fashion. This has been kind of awkward. We're trying to figure this out, but yeah. let me let me just speak to a couple of the charts you have here and, and, and it'll make it easier for you because I I, think I can see them more readily than you can. So, for instance, you show you have one graph here. You show the value spread between um, cheap and expensive, pretty cheap and expensive stocks is extreme. So. The expensive stocks in the market, you just think are they're, they're, they're potential disaster. I mean, they've been a disaster. You think they're going to continue to be a disaster? Is that correct? Yeah, I mean, the you know the uh, the overvalued stuff. I mean, basically, the value the value to growth uh, the uh, yeah the growth to value spread is as high as it's ever been. I mean, it's starting starting to come down. Uh, but you know, this is like uh, I mean the the uh, 
we, we actually higher now in terms of uh, you know uh, growth to value than at the uh, at the, the peak of the 2000 bubble and in, uh, in 2008 so you know that's that's got to come down i mean growth is right but, but but i guess to be a little bit fair in I know we have Michael Kantrowitz in the house, and, and he's one of my favorite strategists, a great thinker. And he's rightly pointed. I mean, look, some, the earnings on a lot of the growth stocks have gone up a lot. So, you know, I, I guess you just have a simple chart of growth versus value. I mean, you've been totally right. I think you got to get a little bit more specific, though. And I want my, Michael's made the point, and he's totally right. It, it's not just a crazy Kathy Woodstocks on one extreme, but there's also sort of like zombie value stocks, which, you know, maybe look cheap in price to sales, but. You got a tremendous amount of debt and, and whatnot, and, and he's made the case. I think he's right. I really, I don't know what you think about this, but it's not even so much a question of, of growth versus value. It's more avoiding the extremes on both ends and sort of quality growth and quality value as opposed to expensive growth and you know dumb value. And so, um, but I, I generally speak, I think you're right. I mean, I, I think, I, but 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 whatever. So, but but look. Let's, at- let's, let's, Sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say, go ahead. Uh, you know, I was going to, you know, the, I mean, obviously the, you know, the, let's say the Apple and, and Google and so on, you know, they're, they're the quality, you know, the quality growth, if you will. Uh, but, I mean, the point is, I mean, obviously, you know, these stocks tend to be always, you know, always expensive, uh, granted, but they also, you know, they also can come down, you know, 50%. Um, you know, and in fact, if these stocks don't come down, you know the S&P is not going to come down, or the Nasdaq right. Nasdaq 100 is not going to come down. So okay. okay, so you have a chart. I'm I'm just going to pick from some of the charts because I don't. Want, we could go. You and I. I mean, I think back over the years, finally our conversations. We talk for hours on this stuff. And I don't want to. I don't want the people on this call to suffer through this. So I'm just going to pick on some of the highlights or lowlights. Okay. So you have it. So let's speak to this. Is you know usually you know time timing is always hard, but I want to I want to drill down on Apple because. Apple and Tesla, because that's kind of where people have been hiding. Um, the charts, as you, you know, I had a conversation earlier this morning, it looks like, you know, the market's starting to come for those. You have one graph up here where you, where you say, could Apple fall by 50%? You bet. Could you just speak to Apple and, like, why Apple to you looks so vulnerable right now? And, and, and Tesla. So fo- focus on those two stocks, please. Okay. I mean, the, the case, I mean, first of all, the, so Apple is selling on, uh, on you know, on seven times earnings, uh, seven times uh, sales revenues. Okay. And, and this is like, uh, I can't remember what the market cap of Apple is. Yeah. How many trillions? But, yeah, you know, yeah, it, it got up to about three trillion. I'm not quite sure where it is. Now, but go okay. ahead. Go but anyway, so seven times sales is a, is a, is a multiple that was never achieved by, uh, by Apple. Not even when, you know, not even in the years after the IPO of the stock. I mean, so, you know, in other words, this is a three trillion market cap company was multiple is higher today than when you know when the company was let's say an emerging growth uh, an emerging growth stock so i mean you know from that point of view that doesn't make sense because it, it means that the market is ex- is expecting let's say you know as much growth now going forward than you know when the company was uh, let's say uh, you know uh, a 10 billion dollar market cap so you know and, and that's not going to happen otherwise apple is going to be you know uh, bigger than the the entire you know stock market um you know the 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 one of the one of the function of this very high EV to sales ratio is the fact that Apple's got you know uh, extraordinary high margins, and the question obviously is whether these margins are going to be sustained uh, sustained over time or not. And you know my my view is that they cannot be sustained uh, because whenever margins are out of the ordinary, you do get you know you do get new entrants whether you like it or not, 
And even though, you know, Apple may have very high barrier of entry in terms of, you know, its product and so on. I mean, you know, today you can buy Samsung. I mean, you know, there are basically two, two very good uh, mobile phone manufacturers with as, as many services, uh, you know, for each other. One is Samsung, which sells on, uh, you know, maybe uh, one times sort of, uh, sales and Apple, which sells on seven times sales. And so, you know, the, the disconnect is just is just too big. And, and so, you know, if Apple was going to go down 50 percent, you know, with an EV2 sales of 3.5, you know, that would be the that would be the slightly lower than the EV2 sales that was reached, you know, in 2007, you know, 2008, just before the crisis. Right. So, uh, you know, so just, I mean, the, the, right. the valuation expansion has just been, you know, out of this world. Right. OK, so so it's like we pumped up the bubble with all this liquidity. And now you're saying the, the, the bubble sprung a leak and now, you know, liquid, the, the tide was coming in liquidity. Now it's going on. It's like a giant macro trade. So before yeah, we get into, yeah, hold on, hold on, hold on. Before we, get yeah. in, before, before we get into more individual names, just so people don't get lost in the weeds, it's not just Apple. You have some graphs up here I really want you to talk about. And again, I apologize for the technical aspect of this. We had some problems getting all this up. But you have a couple charts, um, which on the U.S. bond, I want you to speak to, your the, the interplay of the relationship, the valuation relationship between the bond market. You've got some graphs up here in the thirty-year, and, and the chart looks horrible. It looks like yields are going to continue to go up. And then, as it relates to, let's just pick on the QQQ as mm-hmm. a proxy for growth. So, could yeah. you speak to your view of the bond market? One, and then two. You know, you may say, well, gee, you know, the QQQ hasn't gone down enough just to keep up with what's happening with bonds. So, where you know, where are bonds? Where should the Qs be on the basis of, of where bonds are now? And where you think bonds are going to go, and what does it mean for the QQQ? And then we're going to talk about individual stocks. Sure. Okay. So I mean, just the uh, you know, just looking at the uh, you know the chart which shows the uh, the thirty year and the ten year. Yep. So you know, without you know, without having a PhD in economics, I mean, the the charts are just looking horrible. So I mean, the you know the, I mean, yields have broken broken up on the on the uh, I mean they they had a breakup on the on the chart. And, you know, it's, it's, I mean, I think we go easily to three, 3.5, you know, whether on the 10 year or on the 30 year. Whoa, 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 stop press, stop press. So I, I actually tweeted the other day, three and a half on the, on the 10 year. So Albert, doesn't that mean um, Tina, you know, there is no alternative. Tina is dying, if not dead, no? I think it's, uh, I think it's pretty, pretty dead. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean. It's so cliche, as we would say in French. Yeah, no, no, exact moment, mon frère, mon ami. Um, okay, okay, so, no, I so mean, okay. Yeah, look, I mean, you know, the thing about about you know Tina and FOMO and you know all this crap is is uh, I mean, first of all, there's always an alternative, including even in a seven percent inflation, you're better off in cash than in a market that goes down thirty percent. Um, yeah, so no, 100%, that, 100%, 100%. All right, so, so, to make, so to make it easier for Albert, let me just read to you from some of the slides that you put up and then and then you can weigh in. So, and again, I apologize, everyone. We, we have some problems getting all this up. But, you know, you don't like Apple. You don't like Tesla. Um, you got a chart of the Qs. You think this thing can go a lot, a lot lower. Uh, Amazon looks horrible to you. You just put up some big names that people rec- recognize. Uh, Amazon looks horrible. Microsoft looks horrible. I mean, basically, you're saying all this large cap tech stuff, forget about the earnings. The valuations just got so inflated because of liquidity that, you know, it's, it's not even so much about the earnings. Earnings may go down. Who knows? That's not the point. The point is the valuations are completely 
out of whack and the charts are horrible. And, and, and if I read you correctly, you think all these large cap tech stocks, all this expensive growth stuff, it's just going to get completely destroyed now. Is that, is that, is that a fair summary of your belief? Yeah, that, I mean, that's what I think. I mean, you know, I think the, the I mean, it, it started with ARC and, uh, you know, the ARC, uh, I mean, all the, uh, you know, bullshit tech stocks uh, with no earnings and, uh, and crazy valuations. I mean, that was, you know, that peaked in February last year and has been going down relentlessly, you know, for the last, uh, for the last 13 months. And I think it's not even finished. Uh, but, you know, once I mean, it's a question of I mean, there is a, an asset liquidation, um, you know, phase going on. And I think once people have uh, I mean, you know, by and large, people have, have uh, finished to sell some of some of that crap. Uh, and once they, they sell that, what, what else are they going to sell? Well, you know, they're going to sell the next thing, which is, uh, you know, which is the next tech thing, you know, which are the big ones. And it started with uh, Facebook, you know, uh, which. Uh, you know, which had uh, a very bad day, uh, you know, a couple of months ago. And the same happened with Netflix and, uh, you know, probably a couple others. Uh, you know, I can't remember the names. Um, and, and so, you know, it, it goes in a, in a, in a, you know, in a role. Uh, um, and I think, you know, all of these stocks are not going to escape, uh, you know, the, 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 uh, the selling. And uh, if you look at Facebook right. and Netflix, I mean, the, if you look at, uh, you know, they can't even rebound. I mean, you know, they can't rebound, uh, even though they, you know, they do look cheap when you look at, you know, uh, especially Facebook, maybe, you know, looks cheap within the, uh, the tech space, let's say. But I mean, you know, they can't rebound. Arc cannot rebound. The Chinese tech can't rebound. Uh, you know, most of the crap that has gone down, you know, nobody's buying these things. Um, and, uh, you know, it just shows that the, you know, the flow of, you know, the flow of fund is, uh, you know, is on the uh, exit. Um, and, and again, you know, the, uh, the, the fact that interest rates, you know, are going up and are con probably going to continue to go up. I mean, it's, it's uh, mathematical. I mean, you can't escape the fact, All right. you know, that interest hey, so rates Albert, go up, fees Albert, are going Albert, down. Albert, you and, yeah, Albert, we, we could talk forever, get a bottle of wine, and, mm -hmm. and we could talk about which tech stock we ate more than the next one. But just before we open up the question, maybe just talk a little bit about what you kind of like. I mean, you got some charts in here. You you, you look more favorable. You kind of like Argentina. You like Brazil. You like uh, precious metals. You put in a chart of Newmont, et cetera. Maybe just briefly touch on some of the areas that you think look interesting, you know, if not on an absolute basis, because we do get a big bear market, maybe everything declines. If not on an absolute basis, certainly on a relative basis. I and mean, if you say Argentina and polite company, most people will call for the men in the white coats and say, you know, this guy's crazy. We know you're half crazy, but I know you like Brazil, you like Argentina, you like gold. Just speak a little bit about those, and then we'll open up to questions. Okay, so so on on gold, it's um, I mean on gold, it's uh, it's uh, yeah, you know, it's it, it should be relatively obvious. I mean the the um, you know given the geopolitical uncertainties and and inflation. So I mean you've got the two things going for it. And and gold has has uh, has been going up and breaking out in in virtually every single currency. Um, I think you know we, we still we still haven't broken the uh, you know the two the twenty twenty highs in gold. Uh, I think the break is nineteen uh, nineteen eighty. Uh, I think if we break nineteen eighty on gold, I think this is going to go uh, parabolic. We have Al. I got to interrupt you. Isn't isn't gold though in every other currency like gold and euros, gold and yen, gold and anything else? Isn't gold pretty much at all time highs in all these other major currencies? Yes, except except okay. I mean the, the the high for the dollar was uh, was in in two years ago. Okay, but, right. but I am, I, okay, right, okay, all right, okay, but but, 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 if you, but 
Right, but 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 most of the most of the folks on this call are in North America, and so they're looking at gold through the lens of you know the U.S. dollar, Canadian dollar. The point is, if you're sitting in Europe or you're sitting in um, Japan or whatever, I mean, gold's at an all-time high right now. The chart looks fabulous, yeah. huh? Okay, yeah, yeah. all right, that's I mean, great. All right, yeah, all right. So you like gold? Is you like gold? Is at inflation against the what's happening? Speak a little bit about uh, Argentina and Brazil, please. Okay, so okay. Uh, I mean, just to finish on gold, one minute. One minute. Yep, the, uh, go for it. You know, I look, I look, I look a lot at you know arbitrage situations between commodity stocks and the underlying commodities, and and actually, uh, you know, it's in the uh, gold and silver space that the uh, the stocks are still very very cheap compared to the underlying commodities. I mean, like if you look at copper copper stocks like three three uh, three port, you know, versus copper. You know the uh, the stock is very high relative to the underlying commodity. If you look at uh, you know gold mines versus gold or silver silver mines versus silver, the the stocks are very very low compared to the uh, underlying commodities. Uh, and you know I think they you know uh, I mean being a gold analyst I mean doesn't get you a job anywhere these days. Um, the you know you look at the uh, I mean most of these uh, gold stocks are very cheap in you know even in P's or uh, EV to EBITDA and and some are paying dividend yields and so on I mean they've never been so cheap in in value terms uh, and I think I think it's you know it's it's uh, I think if if gold breaks out you know nineteen if it nineteen eighty two thousand I think the gold mines are going to uh, uh, to explode at that point right and uh, Albert yeah, okay. You just, just. I just want you to go back on one point. It's very critical. You mentioned how the precious metal stocks, the gold and silver stocks, are very cheap relative to the underlying uh, commodity. But you are saying for, like the free ports and some of the mining stocks, it's not the case. Like if you want it to be long copper, or you want how copper is going to go up. You, you, you actually think it's probably better just to own the metal and the stocks, or put it out. The stocks are very expensive relative yeah. to the to the metal. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, for the time being, yes. Yeah. Okay, and then, and what about? And I know you like oil and energy. I believe. What about the oil stocks relative to so, oil? So, it's. I mean, the oil stocks are. Um, I, you know, I don't know if I would be buying. I, I'm not sure I would be buying oil oil stocks um, outright, uh, because I mean they have gone up a lot. Um, they, you know, relative to the S and P. I mean, they are at. You know, if you take a, a ten year chart or a twenty year chart, I mean, they, you know, you don't even see them going up on a relative on a relative basis so you know we we probably just at the very beginning although you know if you, if you take a short-term chart it looks extended i mean the way the way we play it is uh, is being long the oil sectors short the s p and then short oil because i mean clearly if oil goes down and i you know i don't know i mean probably it's not going to go down but let's say tomorrow you get uh, some kind of an agreement in uh, in in ukraine you know oil, oil goes down you know ten dollars or you know whatever it is and the, the oil stocks will, will probably go down, you know, a lot. So, you know, we look at it on average. Right. Uh, but, I mean, certainly, right. I mean, okay. you know, it's the same story. I mean, uh, you know, let's, let's say, you know, the XOP or X, X, XLE, whatever. I mean, Exxon, you know, whatever you, whatever you want is probably a much better bet anyway than, you know, being long QQQ or the S&P. Yeah, no, I, I, so, so you think the energy stocks will certainly outperform the market. That, yeah. that, that's for sure. Okay, but, uh-huh. but on an absolute basis, you don't know. Okay, fine. Last thing, and then we're going to open up for questions. Uh, okay, so, you, so... Yeah, hold on. Can you, can you just speak to Brazil and yeah. Argentina, please? And, and then we're going to go so, to questions. Brazil is, I mean, so Brazil is, again, is a, is a commodity story uh, with an undervalued currency. So the, uh, the again, on a relative basis, I think, you know, Brazil, if you long Brazil short, uh, short the S&P, 
or uh, or short uh, you know the, the world index i think you you would be doing you know you would be doing uh, very well going forward um you know we have a graph somewhere so i guess uh, george you know you know i'll put up a, some kind of a package with with the charts in order but you know we have a, a chart that shows um you know, brazilian stock market versus versus uh, the s&p and, and versus commodities and basically the it's uh, you know the uh, brazilian market is on a, is basically on a takeoff ramp versus the s&p given where commodity prices are so commodity prices are so high that it's not been yet reflected in the relative performance of, of the Brazilian equities versus uh, versus the uh, the S and P. Uh, if you look at the Bovespa index, uh, the two largest uh, market cap, and uh, you know it's a, it's a pretty big um, part of the index. Uh, one is Petrobras, uh, okay, which is one of the major oil companies in the world, and the other one is Vale, which is you know one of uh, one of the biggest um, uh, iron ore. Um, you know, company in the world as well. So, I mean, Brazil is very commodity uh, rela- related, and uh, and um, you know, and the country you know benefits a lot um, you know in upcycle of uh, commodities. So, so, so I just want to understand. So, you, you're actually saying Petrobras and Vale actually look okay to you? Is that what you said? Uh, so, uh, say that again. Sorry. You're saying you actually you like Petrobras and you like Valley? Is that what no? You're I'm, I'm I'm not uh, you know I'm, I'm not sure I would be buying the individual stocks, but uh, you know I was just saying that they are you know they they are very big weighting uh, you know within the Bovespa index. Got it. Okay, with, that's uh, within the uh, you know the Brazil ETF. All right. All right, that's fantastic. All right, so okay. let's just stop right there. I, I apologize. No, no, and... wait, wait. I, I want to give you this. I, I want to give you the the one minute on Argentina. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Okay. Don't don't cry for me, Argentina. Go for it. Okay, so Argentina, I mean, you know, if Ukraine is supposed to be the breadbasket of Europe, Argentina is the breadbasket of Latin America. I mean, it's, it's uh, you know, it's one of the richest country in terms of agricultural land. Uh, and it's also an oil um, um, producing uh, country. Um, so, I mean, this is really a commodity, uh, a commodity play as well. Now, you know, the, the story of Argentina is one of boom, boom and, booms and busts all the time. They signed a, a, a debt uh, restructuring plan with the IMF um, about three, four weeks ago. And uh, according to, you know, people that watch Argentina closely, I mean, this is possibly the, uh, you know, the, the way that Argentina is going to, to get out of its, uh, you know, of its uh, last crisis. Now, there's a, a very interesting angle, uh, you know, buying Argentina. I mean, first of all, there's, there's quite a lot of ETFs which are trading in New York. Relatively liquid. Uh, one of the biggest one is YPF, which is a which is an oil uh, an oil company. It's the national oil company. It's trading at maybe on three four times earnings and zero point three times book value. It's got enormous gas reserves. Um, the is um, I mean the chart is somewhere in there, but I mean the, the stock is down I don't know eighty percent from its high. Uh, right. And and you That's look great. at any and you look at any. Argentina and the arts, it's the same story. They're trading on, you know, there are banks which are trading on two times earnings and 0.2 times uh, book value and so on and so forth. But And by the way, Argentinian banks have never lost money in the last 20 years, uh, despite all the crisis over there. So right. now the, the angle with uh, with Argentina, which I love uh, when buying ADRs, is that the, the uh, Argentinian ADRs are trading at a 40, 50, at a, I mean, right now the discount to the local shares is 40%. Okay, and why is the discount? I mean, you may ask why there is a discount, and the discount reflects. I mean, there are there are two exchange rates in Argentina: the official exchange rate and the unofficial black market 
you know, parallel exchange rate, whatever you want to call it. And the, the ADRs are, are priced on the parallel or black market exchange rate. They, they reflect, you know, what the, what the real, is, uh, real exchange rate is versus the official exchange rate. Now, each time Argentina goes into crisis, there is a very, very, there's a huge spread between the official exchange rate and the, uh, and the black market rate. Uh, and, the, and, you know, it's, it, it's, sometimes it reaches two to one. I mean, there's like a 50% discount on the ADRs. It's, uh, it's, it happens every, every 10 years or so. And then when Argentina comes out of, out of a crisis, the, uh, the uh, black market exchange rate, um, you know, um, um, the black market exchange rate goes towards the, uh, goes towards the uh, official exchange rate and the discount on the ADRs uh, disappear. So in other words, even if Argentina doesn't do anything, the stock prices don't do anything. If you know, if the country gets out of a crisis and the exchange rate, um, you know, become the same, you know, you you would almost double your money just just uh, by Got the it. discount disappearing. Got um, it. All right. But, okay, right. but that's right. So Al, 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 yeah, Albert, let's let's just yeah. hold it, please, because I really want to get some people in here on questions. All right, that's a brilliant sort of tour de force. Let's go to some questions. We've got some really smart people in here. Um, I'd like to – KFAB has his hand up, so we're going to do KFAB first, and then Michael K., if he's listening, uh, always love to hear Michael Kantrowitz speak. So, KFAB, you're up. Michael Kantrowitz, you're next. So, KFAB, what's up? Hey, George. I haven't spoken with you in a couple of weeks. had a health issue, and I just wanted to congratulate you on what you've been doing with uh, the health, health kitchen. So, um uh, so, Albert, I don't usually talk about individual stocks on these spaces very often. Um, I think the last one I talked to about with George was Buena, uh, Buena from uh, Peru back in uh, late fall. Um, but you, you've, you've inspired me with some of your discussions today. Uh, what do you think of Crisud out of uh, Argentina, the, the, the ag um, company? Uh, yeah, again. Okay, so I mean, I know Cressud, I, I know Cressud very well, and it's my number one position. Uh, All right, well, enough okay. said. <laughs> okay, so so I love it. Uh, it's yeah. run by a, it's run by a crook, but uh, you know what can you do? Uh, right. But it, you know, as you know, it's uh, you know it's the biggest or one of the biggest um, agricultural landowner in Argentina, uh, and it's it's via via. Um, um, uh, IRSA is the biggest uh, um, commercial real estate owner in uh, in in uh, Buenos Aires and in Argentina as well. So, you know, this is a stock which I think, again, you know, just by the currency adjustment can can double. You know, even if the stock does nothing, but they actually own you know extremely valuable assets. So, you know, I think the stock could easily go three you know three times, four times. In a, in uh, a okay, great. Yeah, it's one of my favorite ideas. So that's uh, great to hear. Um, and yeah, the and other you one, have, that you, I... have a, you have a similar you, you have a similar company which is bigger in terms of market cap and, and better known, uh, which is called uh, Agro. I mean, I, I, I can't remember the name, but the ticker is uh, AGRO. It's a it's a Brazilian it's a Brazilian company with a, with a, with an ADR. Okay, great. I'll, I'll, I'll look. I'll, yeah, just real, real quick, George. The other one's buyer. Uh, with the you know, it's got Monsanto buried in it, and it's actually you know one of the cheaper um, European stocks that I look at. Um, so, just curious if you've looked at that. I've looked at it. Um, uh, I mean, I haven't looked at it in in detail, but I know the the angle with uh, you know with Monsanto. 
but I, I so, yeah, yeah, so, yeah, so, 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 uh, KFAB, uh, again, it, it's not investment recommendation, I get it, but what, what's sort of the elevator pitch on buyer KFAB? Yeah, it's basically that for obvious macro reasons um, and being in the bad neighborhood, you, you've had buyer be very underperforming. Um, and in a, in a market environment globally where there's not a whole lot that you can look at that's relatively cheap, you've got a large um, you know, division in that business that is Monsanto, which you know, um, you, you look at what's going on in other ag stocks and ag companies. Uh, so whether it's some kind of um, un, un, you know, realization of value, a corporate um, transaction, that kind of thing, it's a sum of the parts type of thing. And you know, relatively conservative way to maybe get some exposure, three percent dividend yield, that kind of thing. Yeah, no, it, it, it sounds it sounds great. All right, so before we go to Michael K, I just want to say a couple things. One, if you are requesting to add, to come up on stage and ask a question, and I don't know you, uh, you need to DM me with what your question is because one of the things about these rooms that everyone seems to like is the way I moderate, um, and and we keep we keep the conversation on the rails. We don't go into extraneous things. So if I don't know you, I've sent you a direct message or you must direct message me because I need to know what the question is. It, nothing annoys me more than someone comes up with an irrelevant question. You know, we're, we are, we're, in the, we're in the midst of, say, this happened like a few weeks ago. We're talking about, you know, energy prices and oil and Ukraine and the SPR. And, you know, the guy wasn't being, uh, it was probably okay question, but it's totally out of context. So, Hi, George. It's the first time I've been in this room. What do you think about dollar cost averaging? I'm like, come on, it's just it's just wasting everybody's time. So if you have a question, if if you wanna you're requesting to speak and I haven't recognized you, it's because you need to tell me through a DM what your question is, because it's just it's just not fair to everybody else in the room. Couple things. Uh, Albert, um, he has a research service. I have no commercial relationship with Albert, but I've, uh, um, he ha- he has a research service that he has always looking for new clients, I'm sure. Uh, speak to him about it. You can reach him on Twitter. Or his email address is albert at aimr.ch. That's albert at aimr.ch. Um, heretofore, he's he's got you know he's got really high end institutional clients. Uh, I don't know that he has too many individual clients, but you know he's always looking to build his business. If you're an RIA or something, I'm sure he can probably figure out some commercial relationship with you. I mean, he's normally charging tens of thousands of dollars for his research, but I think, you know, he probably would be interested in having conversations, you know, at a, at a lower level of service. Um, so again, it's Albert at AIMR.ch. And the other thing that was mentioned um, earlier, uh, thank you, KFAB, for citing it. Um, you know, we, we, we've tried to uh, enlist this room in service of raising money for those less fortunate. Uh, I'm going to pitch again. I feel like one of those guys on uh, you know, public television. Um, you know, we're all very fortunate uh, in this room. This is a first, we're dealing with first world problems, how to preserve or increase our net worth. Um, there are people out there who are really hurting. And in, in particular, we focused, you know, I want to, I want to call out my colleagues, uh, Carol Strone, um, Andrew, RJ and Jack. And we've all kind of banded together to try to uh, make this a force for good. Uh, it's in my Twitter feed. I'll put it up there again. But we selected a charity. It's World Central Kitchens. Uh, Cent- uh, Chef Andreas is doing an unbelievable job going to the Ukraine, cooking hot meals for people. I think there's three and a half million refugees in the Ukraine, and they're cranking out 300,000 meals a day. 
They have ex- they get extremely high ratings from all the charity uh, services in terms of their efficiency. And so there's a there's a um, I'll put it in the Twitter feed again. We provide a, a, a link that goes directly to the charity. So we do not benefit at all. But if you, th- if you get value from these rooms, um, you know, pay forward. I mean, to have people like, you know, Albert Supporter or Tom Thornton or Jeff Garbaz or now, you know, Michael Kantrowitz is not making a presentation. I hopefully he'll make one in the next couple of weeks. Michael and I talked about it. But, you know, people pay good money to listen to Michael speak or to listen to Albert speak. And so everyone's telling me how great the content is in these rooms. And we have like 20,000 20,000 Twitter followers and they're getting as many as 25,000 people an episode listening to these things. Well, you know, if you got value for it, this is the sort of thing that normally you have to pay thousands and thousands of dollars for it, and we're doing it for free. So I urge you, I implore you, I beg you to give to World Central Kitchen, the links to my Twitter feed, um, you know, pay forward, give to those who are less fortunate. Okay, so with that, uh, Michael Cantor is my good friend. Um, I think, you know, probably knowing the way you think and look at the markets. Um, there may be a, an emerging bromance between Albert and yourself because you're both sort of quantitatively oriented. So I'm sure you got lots of questions, objections, whatever. Good to see you, my friend. What's on your mind, Michael? The floor is yours. Hey, thanks, George. Uh, just want, can you hear me okay? You're good. Go for it. Okay. Uh, yeah, just to, I guess I could follow up on the comment about growth and value. You know, I think it's, it's an it's a ongoing debate, and it always will be. And it will continue, but you know, I think you got to go a step below that, as you kind of highlighted too. Because I think when you look at the market now, you know, there's a lot of junky growth stocks that are getting just continue to get hit. They're expensive, no earnings, et cetera. That's that's not where you want to be. Even if rates, even if rates were going lower, I'm not sure I'd want to be in some of those anyway, given their valuations. But on the flip side, there's plenty of crap in value that is performing as bad or even worse. So you know. For people that are saying it's, or I would say to go out and buy a value ETF here, I think it's dangerous. If you look at auto stocks, those have gotten crushed. Those are deeply cyclical. Bank stocks performing terribly. Also kind of the poster child sector of value. Uh, and then when you look at, uh, we do a lot of quantitative work looking at factors in a sector neutral way, which tends to be the better way to observe the data rather than looking at industries and sectors, which can be, uh, manipulated or traded based off more macro events like rising rates or rising oil. Um, when you look at value factors, they're all rolling over in the last four or five weeks. And so I don't think this is a, a market that's really any longer bifurcating wins and losses by growth and value. I think it's going to be increasingly going forward, less about valuation and more just about uh, visibility, sustainability, strong balance sheets and profitability. And so the answer is, you know, it's not growth, it's not value. It's somewhere in the middle. That's what George and I have talked about a lot. Um, and that's, you know, I'm just going to be curious to hear what Albert kind of thinks about that. Yeah, me and Michael, thanks. I mean, you really, what you said really struck a chord. And that's why I'm trying to channel my inner Michael K. Um, I think you're spot on, spot on. So, Albert, what do you think of Michael's idea? It's not just, obviously, listen. Being short, Kathy Woods is kind of sort of Captain Obvious 101 first order thinking now. You know, it's, it's down 60%. It'll probably go down another 60%, but let's not, let's not worry about that. The more interesting part is, you know, sort of the, the, the high beta leveraged garbage value, which at this point in the economic cycle, it may look cheap on EV to sales, well, actually on price to sales, maybe not so much on EV to sales. But given that a lot of these companies 
uh, are economically sensitive and in many cases have low profit margins and, and, and a lot of debt, that that could be a pretty dangerous place to be long. So I, I think that's kind of the, 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 the that's the less obvious part of where you should what you would want to avoid. Did I phrase the question correctly, Michael? Yeah, just to kind of maybe solidify, you know, you said I know you said large cap growth is, seems to be your least favorite corner of the market. If we think large mid small or large mid small growth core and value, does that mean small values your favorite part of the market? Um, and I'm being a little snarky there. Um, but here. Um, actually, the you know the uh, the interesting thing is that okay, growth you know growth is at a historically you know very high premium to value. Uh, but the thing is that if you look at uh, at value by itself, you know you look at the Russell, any of the Russell, but especially the the uh, like the Russell uh, S and P. Uh, not sorry, the S and P value. So the large cap value stocks. These, I mean, these stocks are also um, trading at historically high valuations. So, you know, value is cheaper than growth, but value is also, you know, is historically very, very expensive on an absolute basis. And that's and that's the thing. And that's you know, and that's where when you know that you know you you are in a true bear market, I think is you know there there are very very few places to um, to really hide, uh, especially on an absolute basis. So you know, I don't have and and when you talk about growth growth versus value, it it also depends what you look at. I mean, if you look at the Russell, it's a different story uh, than when you look at the uh, at the um, S and P, you know, growth versus value. So in the large cap area, uh, actually in the you know, if you look on this in the small cap area, there's uh, there's um, I mean, you know, the 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 small cap got destroyed as well. Um, but in the large cap area, it it hasn't really happened yet on on either growth and value. Right. Yeah. That's fair. I guess it's just a follow up to that. I think, so, you know, you, you look at, you know, I don't know where Caterpillar, for example, is, um, you know, whether it's in growth or value, or what it, you know, I have no idea where it is. But you look at stocks like, you know, the, uh, you know, the, the, the big, the big uh, industrial stocks or the material stocks. I mean, these things are trading, you know, they, they, they're trading at very, very high absolute valuation uh, levels. Right. So I, I guess, Mike, Michael, I guess what it's really boiling down to, there's the relative, the relative argument, which is one question, and then there's the absolute. So I don't know, Michael, if differentiating between relative and absolute, if you would, you know, what, what you're, I mean, Albert's basically saying everything's going to go down. Okay. And now we're getting to well, on a relative basis. So I imagine, you know, you're, you're advising, you know, very large institutional investors who have to be invested. So you're making a lot of relative calls. But I guess what I would push back to you, Michael, on, and you've been very spot on, so my hat's off to you. I'm not being snarky. But what I would what I come back to you, if you were to put on your absolute hat, not your relative hat, your absolute hat, what would you say? Because I think that's what I think that's what Albert's looking at. What would you say, Michael? Yeah, I think there's very, very little upside in equities until we reach a point where the global economy starts to reaccelerate in terms of economic activity. And we're just in the third inning of a global slowdown. So you know, I, I think to the extent there's any upside in equities this year, it's if we get any positive news events from all of the issues that are currently plaguing the market today that are not about the, uh, the momentum of the economy. So high inflation, the Fed, Russia, Ukraine, you know, all of those if you get any good news. Like you said, you know, oil drops 10 bucks. If they're, you get a good situation, turn out Ukraine market goes up for a couple of weeks, but then realizes, OK, we're still in a massive global slowdown. 
And we just, you know, we've been chewing on higher rates, higher oil and higher everything for the last 18 months, but we're just beginning to digest it. And that digestion process takes a year, year and a half. So I agree, not much upside. Um, I think small value has the most downside here. So again, what's the major story going to be going forward? I think it's more about uh, a growth a growth shock, right? We've had shock. George, you checked them all off, right? Rate shock, energy shock. Where's where's the growth shock? That's next. 100%, Mike. Okay. So I actually, actually, you know, it's really interesting because, I mean, and Albert, when you come to New York next, I think we have to have lunch with Michael because you guys, I think, would enjoy each other immensely. I think the only extent to which there seems any seeming disconnect is because we're talking about different multiple time frames. So that's excellent, Michael. Really, really appreciate your input. All right, let me move on here a little bit. I want to go now to my good friend Shrub. Um, he's always been great. He's a really smart guy. And, and Albert, he's in Monaco, so not too far from your neck of the woods. And Shrub always has really insightful comments, particularly about the flows. And so, Shrub, I'm kind of curious, what did you see in terms of flows and also the market action this week? So what's sort of top of mind for you, Shrub? Hey, George. Thanks for having me. Thanks for doing it again. Um, I actually don't have uh, data for this week, but look, the inflow data has been quite strong still. So, uh, again, I was looking at one, uh, one survey by Bank of America that said the record number of respondents uh, were pessimistic about the economy, worse than Lehman. So... It was 72% of respondents said that they're pessimistic about the economy. And I think at Lehman, it was a bit, of up, a bit below that. So investors are more pessimistic than uh, at, during Lehman. We're talking about a trillion dollar uh, AUM. So when they do this, these uh, polls, they ask about a trillion dollar of AUM. And then they ask them about allocation to equities. And their allocation to equities are just about normal. <laughs> So, I mean, shrub, 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 shrub. <laughs> you can't make that shit up, okay? I mean, excuse my French. I mean, it's it's insane. And this goes to the Walter Deemer quote about, you know, it's not when people turn bearish that, 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 that counts. It's when they're done selling. They haven't even begun to sell. George, they're going to sell at the bottom. That's what they always do. That is the way it always works. By definition, it's identity. Yeah, by definition. It, it, exactly, exactly. So, yeah. so, so they haven't sold a freaking thing, which is why I keep coming back on, the equity market rep- offers return for your risk. All right, keep keep going, Shrub. Shrub, by yeah. the way, as we're talking, I'm going to dig out. I did find a funds flow data stuff. I'll send. I'll email it to you. Have a look at it, and then, and then maybe you could weigh in because I think yeah. it showed, I think it showed apples. Keep, keep going. I, I, I think it's uh, yeah. So some other data showed outflows, but the Bank of America one didn't come out this week that I saw. So the other data did show outflows in the U.S. But look, I I mean, let, let's just take the worst one. So Arc. I mean, I track the ARC uh, flows. People haven't redeemed out of ARC. She made $80 million in management fees this year. I mean, that's not, that's not a bear market, guys. I mean, I'm sorry, but <laughs> this is not, we're, we're nowhere near yet. Uh, you know, you have the Tigers down 30%. You have uh, ARC uh, not having major outflows. You have uh, venture capital just taking the first mark hit, hit on their marks. Um, and, you know, like uh, j- just a- another stupid data point. Uh, so, you know, I-, I think I have a decent following on Twitter. I talk a lot of nonsense on Twitter. But then if when I put the, the, the performance of Tiger and I said, you know, this is ridiculous. They they just because what Tiger did, let me just clarify. They they're down 30 percent on the year and they took a big hit on their private investments end of March. So my comment was. Why did they do it end of March? Is it to get the bonuses in December? I mean, the market was bad in December. Why is it end of March? 
And I got so attacked by pretty much <laughs> half of Fintwit on that point. Um, so I think there's still complacency. Yeah, but we have a sharp, sharp and we're going to have, by the way, there's a special guest lurking in the weeds, Mr. Flowpoint Partners. So there was a great, there was a great Twitter thread the other day. Um, and sorry to interrupt you, Shrub. It was a great, an epic thread, and I'll retweet it, put up by this fellow about how all the high net worth guys are getting bagged. And it was unbelievable. He's like, you know, one guy was saying he, he reads Kathy Wood's uh, page every day to get his ideas about the market. I mean, you just want to shoot yourself in the face when you read this thing. So it's exactly what you say, Shrub. They haven't sold a freaking thing. And so uh, let me just um, hold on here. I, I, want, I hope Mr. Flowpoint comes up. He can unmask himself if he wants to. But, I mean, Shrub, this is unbelievable. I mean, they haven't sold anything. And, and, and meanwhile, all the macro factors, you heard me talk at the outset, all the macro factors, rising oil, rising interest rates, you know, rising dollar. I mean, it's like it's only a matter of time. Um, so, I mean, have you become – I know, you know, like me, you're a chameleon. You change your opinions. You move exposures around. But are you I, more inclined are – you, are you leaning more negative now? Like, where are you, Shrub? I am still keeping my same positioning I've held for the last few months. I'm short NASDAQ and I'm long energy and commodities. So half my portfolio is that. And I have a decent cash position. I have 20 to 30% cash, depending on my mood. Uh, and my main trade is basically long commodities and energy, short tech. And I will remind everyone again to go back and listen to the Stan Weinstein uh, <laughs> YouTube <laughs> podcast. <laughs> Guy, as long as it's working, just keep the trade on. <laughs> I mean, Shrub, you know what's so brilliant about this? I mean, you know that saying goes, "You love when a great way a plan comes together." So we start yeah. <laughs> with we start with relative valuation, which totally. I mean, you and I have this. You and I have the same book. So yeah. the relative valuation check, the macro regime check, the price action check, the positioning check. I mean, Shrub, what did I miss? It's it's like it's like everything points in, in this direction. I mean, oh, can, can I, I add this? I get scared that I'm missing something. I'm, sure. I'm, I'm the same, George. And you know what scares me more is when I speak to a lot of, uh, you, you know, I speak to a lot of retail investors uh, because of Twitter. And uh, and I'm having intelligent uh, conversations. And what worries me is when I speak with guys that manage hundreds of millions and billions, and I cannot convince them for my life. <laughs> shrub, shrub, I will tell you, I will tell you, and I don't mind... I'll mention names. Some of the smartest guys that appeared in these rooms, technicians. You know, we had Dave Nikoski from Vermillion on the other day, who, by the way, if you guys didn't listen to him, he's another name maybe people don't recognize. Go back and listen to that replay. That was from last weekend. Dave Nikoski, John Roke, Stan Weinstein, Tom Thornton, Jeff Garbaz. I get the same exact story from all of them, which is the same story that you tell me. It's like, you know, Roke will say, oh, he's talking to you know, I don't mind giving away secrets because he's a good friend. To be talking to like you know a guy running you know a few billion dollars or one of these firms, and it's like they don't want to hear it. They just don't want to hear it. Like you're stupid. You don't know. I mean, I mean the sheer arrogance, shrub. It's one thing if someone gives you an intelligent, well reasoned pushback, but the sheer arrogance is just un freaking believable. George, I was thinking about this today, and you've probably seen this more than I have. But you know the old saying that you never get fired if you own uh, IBM. Yep. I, I think it's kind of the same thing now. I cannot justify it in any other, any other way. I'm I cannot justify it any other way. All right, Shrub, so, so hold that. Just, so just one, one, thing, yep. one thing to mention, which was um, you know, in co uh, relation to what Albert said. So the one thing that is actually very interesting 
because we started, the, Albert started the conversation with inflation and then he ended with Argentina. And I just implore everyone to look at how, a, what multiples a high inflation country trades at. It's single, it's mid-single multiples, mid-single digit multiples. So when we talk about inflation and people are saying, oh, you know, inflation is transitory, you know, even if it settles at like four or 5%, the S&P should not be at 20 times. Look at all these emerging markets. You know, that's why I, I was telling my, with my old firm, we're saying if, if inflation hits, the only guys who will be positioned well is emerging markets analysts. <laughs> I'm just going to leave it there. <laughs> well, all right, so, so now, let, 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 yeah, Michael, the floor is yours. What's up, man? Um, just, so, you know, regarding the valuations, again, I don't think it's so much about valuations going forward. If you look at, look at Europe, it's cheaper than the U.S. Canada is cheaper than the U.S. Everything's cheaper than the U.S. But it's, I'd say that's largely due to composition. You know, if you look at cyclical markets, you know, there's 10 stocks that make up, or emerging markets, there's 10 stocks that make up 50, 60, 70, 80, 90% of the index. Uh, and so they're always going to be cheaper. There's never a reason to buy it. Um, and so there are plenty of expensive stocks that are still doing well. I'll give you some examples. AutoZone, Costco. And so I think, again, the story is not just about, oh, the stock's expensive, rates are going up, and I got to slow, and I got to get, get rid of all these expensive stocks. What are you, like, you going to do if this is going to happen as growth continues to slow over the next 9, 12, 15 months? Market can, can increasingly gets more and more narrow, and what's left is a bunch of expensive defense. 100%. So it's going to push people into out of cheap stocks. If you're in cheap stocks, you're going to get blown up. Because there's a reason the stock is cheap. Again, I think it's as growth slows. And, can, and, and what are you going to do? Either not own equities at all, or, you know, what are you going to do when you buy ex- utilities and trading at expensive levels? Well, yeah. It yeah, happens yeah. every downturn. Yeah, yeah Mike, Michael, if I interrupt, I totally agree with that. But, but the thing, that goes to the absolute versus the relative. Like, I get it. People will pay up for AutoZone, Costco, and a Ute because the earnings volatility and the earnings visibility, earnings, earnings volatility is less, earnings visibility is greater. I get that. For someone who has to be invested, but for, for this goes to the absolute question: like, if you don't have to be in the market, like, why in God's name would you own? If you don't have to be in the market, you know, owning the stock like Costco, and we all love the product, owning Costco and forty times earnings, especially if I if I say to you, I have the Wall Street Journal three months from three months from now, and the long bonds are three and a half percent. Like, in the world of absolutes, that just makes no sense at all. I mean, what would your pushback be to that, Michael? And if Costco's going down, I think everything's going down. 50%. Yeah, no, that's fair. And, and I get Costco. Costco down 50. But I think you have to separate stocks that are expensive on why they are expensive. You can't compare Costco to a stock in Kathy Wood's portfolio. No, 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 100%. But they'll all go down for different reasons. I mean, each one's different. I mean, well, here, let's look at S&P low volatility index. I'm sure that has gotten increasingly expensive and will only get more expensive, certainly sure. on a relative basis. Yep. That's what you're going to want to own when all of this inflation and, you know, George, if you're, if you're right, George, George, how do we get to three and a half and not go into recession? Oh, I, 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 oh, I got the answer for that one really easy. I, I don't want to go there just yet. I want to go to Mr. Flow Point. But I, I got you the answer. Don't worry, I got that one. So, so my, Michael, if you could, if you could, because so my point is, I think rates are going a lot higher. I think everything goes down. That that's kind of where I am. I, I think Albert, is that is that where you are, Albert? Uh, yeah, yeah, that's where I am. But I mean, I'm I'm glad you're talking about Costco because it's it's one of uh, I think it's one of 
probably one of my top short short idea. I mean, you know, I don't see how these kind of stocks can continue to, uh, you know, to, uh, you know, to go up. I mean, it, it is kind of, you know, Costco is probably kind of, um, you know, Tina. Like people are, are going into there because it's, you know, I don't know, it's a big supermarket and you got to eat or, or buy it's some an, stuff. It, it's an annuity. It's, they, just get, they just make money on subscriptions. Yeah, but it's not an annuity. I mean, it's a retailer, which, you know, which is trading on, again, on an enterprise value to sales of, I don't know, 1.2, 1.3, with, with uh, operating margins of 3%. And, it, it, you know, these are things which are, you know, which are not sustainable. Um, and you know, let, let me just wait. My, my pushback to you would be, because the argument you're espousing, I love you, man. So I'm not, I'm not going to be smarky, but I'm going to push back to you in the same way you, 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 you phrase the question. You can't tell me, you can't tell me that even if Costco has earnings visibility, it doesn't fuck up. That you know, taking the discount rate, the ten year from one seventy five to two seventy five, which you've already done, that somehow that shouldn't go into the price of Costco. And then, God yeah. forbid, if I'm right, it goes to three and a half, doesn't further smash the multiple. Like, how do you answer that? I, I think because everyone, everyone, when you think about rates going up and down, everyone always thinks about the multiple, the multiple, the multiple. And that's, yeah, it's a big part of the story. But what about the earnings? What about the top line the, 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 or the bottom, sorry, the E the, in the denominator? What are higher rates going to, you know, they initially will compress expensive stocks when rates go up. And then the second order effect is they crush earnings for cyclical stocks. So it's definitely more of a relative call for Costco. If Costco goes down fifty percent, everything's down. Oh, lot. sorry. So, so, so we're in agreement. It goes back to absolute versus the real. Listen, listen. None of us here want to own cheap stocks with earnings volatility and shitty balance sheets into a downturn. We're not arguing about that. All right. The question is, it this all gets back to relative versus absolute. I mean, listen. If you're my good friend Will Down on for Fidelity Contra Fund, right, or our good mutual friend Sammy Simnagar, okay, of course you're going to own. You're going to own, you know, Costco instead of some leveraged piece of crap cruise ship company it's not the issue before the house the issue before the house is you got a long duration. and by the way i don't even think costco's earnings estimates have been going up i mean I, I gotta double check that but the multiple on sales on profits on anything you show me is at levels i don't think it's ever been before at a time when the discount when the discount rates are going through the roof so so to just focus on the earnings at the exclusion of the valuation that's that's just, that's as nonsensical as focusing on the valuation without looking at the earnings. I mean, you, you, it gets back to the to the absolute versus the relative argument. Yes, um, uh, George, if I if I may uh, come in, uh, I think what you're saying is exactly. I mean, is is uh, you know point on in the sense that you know the the um, I mean the fundamentals of Costco here are are irrelevant in the same way that they are irrelevant for uh, for Apple. The, the uh, I mean, the, the question is one of PE compression. It's not one, you know, it's uh, we've had PE inflation for the last uh, 20 years, and now we're in an environment of, of PE deflation. And so what was selling at 30 times and 40 times earnings, you know, is going to be selling at 20 times and 10 times earnings. I mean, it's with the same fundamentals, with the same great fundamentals. It, you know, it doesn't make any, it doesn't make any difference. Uh, and just, you know, just to um, put things well, in perspective, just to put things in uh, one, one sec. I mean, just to put things into perspective, I mean, Costco is on 45 times earnings. The the last peak, you know, price earnings ratio was in 99, and that that was at 30 times earnings, and and it went from 30 times earnings to 10 times earnings between 99 and 2000 and uh, 2008. And, and previous, you know, previously it went from 20 times to less than 10 times earnings between you know 91 to to uh, 94. 
So the, you know the <clears throat> the same company with probably the same you know the same uh, growth and, and and so on. So you know it's not unusual to see great companies uh, you know going through P, you know a P deflation. Not 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 because the fundamentals are getting worse, but because the whole market is is uh, derating. And you know, and that's that's what happens in a you know in a in a bear market basically. Michael, back over to you. Well, I think people are extrapolating what we've seen in the last three to four months, expecting this to continue, and I think that's wrong because in the past three or four months, the only thing people have been concerned about has been things that have been moving higher: inflation rates, oil, dollar, geopolitical risks. And again, I'm I'm repeating myself like a uh, whatever. Um, no one's really concerned. I, I understand like this growth, this growth slowdown. It seems sentiment is reflecting some of it, but you haven't even seen earnings. Yeah, really but, 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 but Michael, but Michael, Michael, I, I think what's happening here, you're talking past each other. I agree with your point on the slowdown. I channel my inner Michael K in my remarks, but what you're not responding to, and I'm really getting a little bit annoyed about, is the is the idea that forget about forget about absolute relative forget about that do not talk about relative okay you're joe blow you walk in off the street you know the discount rate's gone up a lot already and it may continue to go up okay and, and in bear markets you know as i say and as stan weinstein said or someone said it in a bull market the hardest thing to do is to stay invested in the markets going up in a bear market the hardest thing to do is to stay out when the market's going down because everyone's backward looking and they, they all used to sell 40 times earnings out, sell 30 times earnings always looks cheap on the way down. The pushback, I don't want to get into its growth versus value. You and I agree on that. It's not the issue we're discussing here. The issue we're discussing is in the absolute, like, would you put your mother or mother in law into Costco right here? And if we're in a bear market, we're thinking Albert's saying we are, the answer is no. How do you answer that question? I think, again, we, we, think of everything in a process in a market cycle and I, I don't think we're heading into recession over the next six months maybe nine months i think nine months from now though beginning of next year the first half of 2023 is going to be extremely ugly from an economic growth and earnings growth perspective and all the data is going to be at its new low hitting new lows every month uh when we get there yeah i don't want to touch anything but i'd say right now the next three to six months, and you know, maybe it's playing a little cute. For the next twelve months, no. I wouldn't, if I had to lock a dollar away for twelve more than nine months, I wouldn't put it in, in any, any stock. All but right, for the next that's, that's nine months. All right, let, let's think, just table it. Michael, brilliant insight. Really appreciate that, Albert. Brilliant insight. We're all learning here. This is what this room is all about. Nobody really knows. We're just a bunch of ordinary guys trying to figure it out, and together maybe we can. Okay, so now before we go to uh, Mr. Flowpoint, and I'm not going to reveal his name. He can describe who he is. I'm just going to say, um, again, I'm going to feel like I'm shilling here, but, you know, the other day we raised $10,000, $9,000 um, in this in the, room, the space that we had. I don't think we've raised a single penny here so far today. So it's up in the nest. Um, you can you can just get out your credit card. It goes to people who need it. Actually, I take that back. We got one contribution of $50. And we consider the tens or hundreds of millions that's in this room. That's like ridiculous. Uh, one of the speakers in this room generously gave over $5,000. Um, I'm not going to say who it was, but you know, if you think you're getting value from this room, again, you'd have to pay gazillions of dollars to listen to Michael or Albert or Mr. Flowpoint or KFAB or Bobby J is going to talk. 
I think the least people could do is give to people who are in need. And, um, you know, I do this for no personal gain. Uh, I pay forward. I wish others pay forward. I will just I'll call that Sohabe. He's given generously. Uh, Shrub has given. I'm just talking about the speakers are up on here. Bobby J has given. Many of you have given. And so I implore you all to give. All right. So special guest, uh, Mr. Flowpoint. Uh, I'm not going to mention his name. He can reveal himself if he wants to. It was, a, and I will ret- I'll retweet out his. Go, go to his. Go to his um, Twitter account. I spoke to him this morning. Uh, he's up in the Boston area. We know a lot of the same people. Um, I think he told me he got a quarter of a million hits. I'll let him tell the story. But he he put out this incredible thread the other day. He was channeling his inner George Noble donkey on Kathy Woods. After he, and, and I was like, I got to talk to this guy. So I looked him up. I DM'd and we connected. We're soul brothers. He, he's my new best friend. So, Mr. Flowpoint, welcome to the stage. The floor is yours. Feel free to talk about whatever you want. You want to identify yourself. You don't want to identify. It doesn't matter. I'm sure everyone is keen to hear. Why did you put up what you did on Twitter the other day? And maybe you could sort of build out those thoughts a little bit. Thank you. Thank you very much, George, for having me on. I appreciate this. I'm not sure that this is the smartest thing you've ever done. My kids would be appalled that somebody has given me access to an open microphone without any governor on it. Um, the tweet itself was, um, in response to, you know, and look, my views are in alignment with just about everybody that's been on this call, which was what was prompting my frustration. And I had just come from a small conference that I had done, uh, at the request of a friend who's an RIA. Um, it was basically a prospect prospecting session for him. And he was talking to a family office allocator and we run nothing but private funds. And we do that, you know, for reasons I can get into later in this broadcast. Um, But we were talking about why we focus on the private asset classes and the benefits to private asset classes. And um, the comment that I basically got back from him was the stuff that we do is too risky. And this is a guy whose second largest position, according to, Bloomberg is ARC Innovation Fund. So how the hell can you own ARC Innovation knowing how she manages money and knowing how she's um, distributing the risk across her portfolio and knowing what everybody knows about her portfolio construction techniques? How can you tell me that, you know, private asset classes are risky in comparison? And I just, I was sitting at a bar after, you know, with a couple of my partners having dinner and I, I basically banged that tweet out sitting at you know, on, on, on a bar napkin almost in frustration because it was just like, you know, these people with the not invented here syndrome, which, you know, afflicts most of the RAA community. But then, you know, you talk to their clients who are very, very, very well healed people and smart. And, you know, nobody pays attention to the stuff that we've been discussing in this room. There's just zero concern about, you know, portfolio construction and where your risks are in your own portfolios. I mean, what prompted everything, and I, I you know, listening to Albert, it's, it's um, you know, coincidental that you had me on because the purpose of me going to this conference to talk to these RIAs and these other clients at the request of a buddy of mine was that, you know, I, I had sent him a note saying, look, 73 stocks in the S&P 500 are trading above 10 times revenues. That's just insane. So when Albert came on talking about, you know, EV to sales ratios at 
you know, I was laughing to myself listening. I mean, that's what prompted this conversation. And that's how we got into the discussion about Kathy and, you know, you know, why we're trying to do things differently away from the public markets. You just look at the performance of the stocks that are trading at these stupidly high multiples. And this was back in January when I sent my buddy this note. Uh, you look at their performance just in the month of January, they were getting obliterated. And yet these guys that I was talking to that were telling me that my private portfolio of private assets is way too risky. They own all these stocks that are trading at 10 times revenues. I mean, so how do you explain that? Right. So that's what, that's what prompted the tweet. So that, 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 that's phenomenal. Could you, um, if you want me to read it, fine. I don't know if you want to read it verbatim, but just for those that are in the room that didn't hear they didn't read the tweet. Uh, it might be useful to hear you read it out in your own words. I mean, you know, uh, editorialize as you wish. But I think it'd be really helpful for, for those that haven't heard it because, because you know, many of us have, but, but many in the room haven't. So would you mind uh, reciting or if you want, I, I will do it with however you'd like to proceed. Yeah. You know what? You're probably better at this. I'm, I'm afraid I'm going to kick myself off your space if I do something stupid on my phone. So. <laughs> All right, hold on one second. Let me just find it here. And so, hey, um, um, hold on. So, where are we here? So, um, bear with me. It was, okay, so this was just for all you know. Um, this was in response to Kathy Wood's uh, appearance um, at the uh, ETF conference in Miami on uh, Thursday, I believe it was, Wednesday or Thursday. And she did a CNBC interview with Bob Pisani. And we went nuts that night with our own space. It was epic. Everyone should go listen to the replay. It's on YouTube if they're interested. And you, coincidentally, around the same time, um, you tweeted out. There's this wonderful thing where, you know, the whole thing where Kathy was, was claiming her portfolio is going up 50% a year for the next five years. So you had one tweet here where you said, remember when every word or any, every presentation you made publicly had to, be, had to be run past compliance? And how you could never discuss performance anywhere? unless the statements was followed by 52 pages of disclosures. I mean, you know, that is so spot on the outrage. I mean, you know, I worked at Fidelity, you worked at a big firm. You can't go to the bathroom without compliance, you know, double checking. All right. And, and that she gets up and says this stuff, whether it's illegal, which it may be, or it should be illegal. It's the sort of stuff that no person of, of good character of any responsible nature, no one would ever say this stuff. So let me just now go to your tweet storm. Um, I've spent the, the past few weeks in the depressing company of high net worth investors. And I'll, I'll actually I'll interview in a couple of these points here. In the depressing company of high net worth investors, the experience has been sobering, alarming, comedic, maddening, frustrating, and ultimately cathartic. Here's my summary conclusions. One, outfits like CNBC are doing untold damage because they feed a hype cycle that will ultimately prove to be disastrous for retail investors. Two, retail only cares about performance. It can brag about cocktail parties. Let's just stop for one second. What is your take on CNBC and their complicity in their role in this whole disaster? I think they're, they all ought to be ashamed of themselves. Um, I, I scratch my head when I think about, you know, Henry Blodgett, who I'm no fan of taking it on the chin back in the two thousands. Um, and yet they get away with what they get away with. And Jim Cramer gets away with what he gets away with. And why was Blodgett drummed out of the industry, yet these idiots have a microphone? I mean, it's just irresponsible. Yeah, and um, I, I, think, I think, you know, part of the issue, too, is maybe you could reflect, because you've been around for a while, you reflect on the change in nature of the industry. At least back then, we didn't have social media. 
So when someone had a had a, had a microphone, you know, they were working at a big firm or something like that, and they would be subject to the compliance dictates that were you know existing at the time. You don't have that now. You have you have people talking crap, and the problem is the problem is it's monkey see monkey do. This is the phrase I used the other day. One of them does it, they all do it. So what happens? Elon Musk comes out with you know these bullshit things about orders and backlogs. And he's just making it up, and it's been proven subsequently that it was all wrong, was all false. But leave that aside, he gets away with it. So guess what? Elon Musk has a child. His name is Trevor Milton. And Nikolai does the same exact thing. And then you have that jackass at Lordstown Motors. Same thing, okay? There's been complete regulatory failure here, lawlessness. And so the regulatory regime has totally changed. And so I guess there's a question there somewhere. I mean, don't you think... When you think about the rise of social media and the fact that the regulators have gone completely MIA, would that would that help give part of the answer why Blodgett took it on the chin and, and these these charlatans get away with it? Well, yeah, but you know, back then Congress got involved and there was a um, it was more of a populist, you know, protect the little guy kind of environment. Well, you know, one of the points that I didn't make in that Twitter thread was. Um, you know, this is this environment. You don't hear from Elizabeth Warren because nobody's gotten hurt yet. We haven't had the big correction, and you haven't had the, um, you know, the WorldCom that takes everybody down with it. So, right, uh, you know, I'm you, just, you, just you, waiting you, for it's that. A, it's a great point you make, and you remind me of that because Jim Chanos, who I'm friends with, he was in this room three weeks ago. You all should go back, go to my YouTube channel. All the, all the, we put them all up there. And by the way, I have to put in the good word again for uh, Carol, Andrew, uh, Jack, and RJ. This wouldn't be possible without them. They put up all the uh, recordings of uh, our, our sessions, our, our spaces, the last few weeks. And Chanos is in there talking about how, like, the regular there's the hype cycle, which precedes like the regulatory crackdown cycle. It's only when someone gets hurt you 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 just hit the nail on the head. They don't want to be seen to upsetting the party. They wait till you know a crime has been committed, and then they come in after the fact. Uh, they're never they're never in front of it. They're always behind it. And so, and then what I'm worried about is this has gone on. It's just so much. Don't you think this is not just the hype cycle, but the excesses are just so much worse than 2000. I mean, it's complete and utter lawlessness. Yeah, that's that's been the big change between 2000 and now. Is um, uh, the regulators have just completely abdicated. And I, I'm just shocked at the things that you see now. In print. I mean, George, you know, I mean, you, you have to submit your entire speech to compliance where they would go over it word for word on what you're going to talk about. And yet, you know, she's out there popping off about 50 percent compounded annual returns. It's just nonsense. And, I, you know, what Musk gets away with on a daily basis is ridiculous. What was what I was laughing at earlier when you were going through Lordstown and Nicola. It's funny that Kathy owns all those three. <laughs> you know, Tesla, Nikola, and Lordson. Anyway, um, the, the, I, I want to get back to that, that t- tweet thread, and then we can move on to something else so you can get rid of me altogether. But um, the guy that I was talking to was the chief investment officer. What prompted my frustration was I was talking to the chief investment officer of a really large um, family office, and the guy was maybe early 30s. I don't think he'd been in the markets in 2008. So, you know, you're probably close to my age. So we've lived through what the Russian currency devaluation, the 2000 meltdown, 2008, uh, you know, the Asian currency crisis, you name it. I don't think this guy was in the market prior to, to 2008 and with zero perspective. 
and is like aggravated when his managers aren't doing 20 plus percent annualized returns. What are you out of your mind? You know how hard that is over a long market cycle to do 20% a year. And he's like poo pooing and making fun of all the managers in the lineup that he's going to fire because they didn't have Kathy ish returns. Well, you know, how, how'd you do with Kathy last year, bro? I, you know, you know, it's funny you say that. I will tell a couple of stories that I've told in the past. Um, Jeremy Grantham, who's been around a long time, who, whenever he's in a room, he is the smartest guy in the room. He's been, you know, wrong or whatever early. I mean, he's, he's been caught out by the bubble like a lot of us older, longer-term investors have been. But he's really smart. And I remember him telling, for those, I apologize for those who heard this story before, but um, he got up, it was at a Grants conference in like 2004, 2005, and told the story how um, in 1999, uh, 99 or 2000, somewhere around then, somewhere near the peak of tech. You know, Grandpa Mayo had had a rough go in the late 90s. They didn't lose money, but they weren't drinking the Kool-Aid. And they started losing assets like crazy. The, the CIO of the GM uh, investment office wrote a memorandum circulated internally where Jeremy Grantham was banned from setting foot in the GM investment office the grounds he was deemed to be a dangerously persuasive person. He wrote really well. He communicated really well. And, you know, he's costing people money because he was preventing them from buying tech stocks. You shouldn't listen to him. Well, we all know how that worked out. Um, you know, I think their assets went from $18 billion to $140 billion in the ensuing years. In recent years, GMO has given up on active management. I think they're largely indexed. And they've had a rough go. But my take on that is that tells you more where we are in the cycle because, you know, sometimes the market makes you look smarter than you really are, sometimes dumber than you really are. And the fact that people are ridiculing Jeremy Grantham, to me, tells me where we are. You know, in similar fashion, you go back to the tech peak, and I, and, and I want you to weigh in on this. Do remember that, you know, Stan Druckermiller, you know, he got taken out. He, he drank the Kool-Aid. He got sucked in at the top and got blown up. George Vanderheiden, the best fund manager you've never heard of. Peter Lynch is number two at Fidelity. He basically got fired because he wouldn't own tech. Chuck Cloud, who was Rich Bernstein's predecessor at Merrill Lynch, great guy, runs Cloud Capital now in Boston. He basically got run out of Merrill Lynch because he wouldn't couldn't buy tech. And then this is this is this is this is seared in my mind. Uh, you know, there are, people can remember where they were when certain things happened. Or certain people said certain things. I remember. I'll, I'll find it and I'll tweet it out. There was a quote from somebody at Warburg Pincus, like private equity or whatever. This was like February of 2000, and the exact quote was, the money line was, if it's not tech, it's dreck. If it's not tech, it's dreck. And back then, we didn't have Kathy Woods. We had Kathy Wood. We instead had Garrett Von Wagner, Alberto Villar, who was in jail, actually, for embezzlement, uh, Henry Blodgett, uh, Ryan Munder of the NetNet Fund. Kevin Landis of the First Hand Funds. You remember all these names, okay? So the song remains the same. We've seen this movie before with different subtitles. So, again, to me, what's what's so awful this time is the out-and-out out lawlessness. And I think Twitter and places like this, I mean, I can't believe I got in a dust-up this morning. Not a dust-up. Someone tweeted out yesterday, and KFAB, I want you to weigh in on this, and we'll have Mr. Flowpoint talk some more. But, KFAB, I want you to speak to this. There is an energy fund manager, all right, who... Um, has been, I'm going to choose my words carefully here, who has been known to misrepresent things, who 
actually lies about things. I'll say that. The Supreme Court, that's fine. He misrepresents things. He lies things. He, he defames people. And everyone's been running around in full point. This is, this is a question here, but I want to contextualize the question just so you understand where I'm coming from. Everyone thinks this guy's a fucking genius because he's up 380% last year, whatever he was up. In KFAB, maybe you can speak first and then Fopon will speak again. And so, I have no, I mean, I'm sure he's a smart guy. I don't know. I just know the way he's defamed certain people and lied. He's not my cup of tea. And so, someone tweets out the guy's performance record. And, you know, as a, as a hedge fund manager, you cannot advertise your performance. Well, somebody else put out his performance. Okay, fine. It didn't come from him, but for sure he gave it to this other guy who shouldn't have tweeted it out because it's private information. This guy tweets it out, and he's up like 380% last year. But now the truth comes out. You know, you take a look at the prior four years, it was an unmitigated disaster. This guy got down to, I think, $8 million under management. There's a reason now, even being up 380%, he's only managing $40 million, because he's a laughing stock. You take one look at him, KFAB, I want you to, to weigh in on this. You take a look, the guy's down like 40%, 50%, 60%. I think he lost his biggest client at one point. He got down to $8 million bucks. Good for him that he made money last year. I'm happy for him. But here's the here's the outrage. Here's the outrage. He's running around talking about his 380 percent. He up until now, the fact's been hidden that he's been unmitigated disaster. I, I think from peak to trough, he was down 70 percent. So when you're up 380 percent, it barely gets you back to break even. Don't hold me to it exactly. He's doing well now, good for him. But he he hit, hit his record completely. And here's the worst part. You say, well, that's okay, George. You're not supposed to. Here's the worst part. You look at his marketing document, he has a performance by years. You can find it. It's out on the internet. Just just look up Cuffy's feed. It's in there. And you look at, he has the temerity to, to, to say, to start counting performance at one point from the low of like March of 2020. And it's like, look at me. I'm up 380%. Or, you know, if you had invested $1 million with me on March of 2020, you'd have $4 million. And KFAB rightly points out, wait a second, dude. You didn't give your three-year trailing return. You didn't give your five-year trailing return. Oh, and oh, by the way, you're running a small-cap energy fund, and you want to use the XOP as a benchmark, which is a large-cap index. Like That is so fucking wrong, if not illegal. I know Fidelity Compliance would never let that fly. I know any legitimate hedge fund that's got compliance issues would not let that fly. All right, but here's the problem. Here is the problem. In the sewer that is Twitter where you have uneducated individual investors who don't understand how the rules work. They get sucked in by this crap. And so I tweeted this out. Just to, 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 I, I actually like KFAP saying I responded to it. I tweeted out. And you got some fucking ignorant retail investors throwing, throwing, throwing shade at me. I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? KFAP, you want to weigh in on this? Yeah, just on the narrow point of the, the actual marketing document. Um, so, again, I, I, I've personally overseen a, an initial GIPS verification, been involved with a software vendor that does GIPS um, compositing. Uh, so I have a pretty decent handle on these kinds of reporting and the associated compliance that goes along with it. Um, you know, I launched a 40-act fund back in the day myself and, and, and managed it. So... You know, I, I, I have a decent uh, domain experience and um, th the nature of that report is just unacceptable to the point where, I mean, I, 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 if anyone is an adult in the room that has any compliance background, they just wouldn't let it happen. Um, 
And again, I, I'll take the more charitable route, George, just because I'm a more diplomatic person probably than you are. Um, you know, if, if I take the best assumption, it's they're, they're a real small firm, it seems. They only have $40 million under management. And small firms sometimes it's ignorance. They don't know what they're doing. Um, but it, 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 I mean, to go, to go to public with that and distribute it in the public domain is really just not good. And it goes back to this idea. I mean, you know, regulators just don't. They can't be everywhere at all times, and it is the Wild West. I mean, this is the golden era of fraud, as I think Jim Janus would say. And, and um, you know, the, the stuff that they do go enforcement at, you know, they basically take the low-hanging fruit of small people, small firms, and let the bigger companies just get away with absolute murder. Um, yeah, so- it's, a, it's a kayfab, but I, I'm just going to push back because I, you and I are 90% in agreement. And, yes, you are more diplomatic than I. You're not the asshole that I am. But that guy has had institutional money before. He knows the drill. He knows yeah, the drill. I, I, don't, know, he, I, I don't you know, know him. I don't know. No, no, I, 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 I know him. He knows the drill. I also know the lies that he's committed in other public spaces and the defamation. And, and, and I know how insecure he is. And he's welcome to come in this room if he wants to, but he won't. Um, and so the, this is the sort of thing. This is the regulatory failure. Anyone who understands best practices and what you're supposed to do. Like, you wouldn't even dream of doing that because you don't want the SEC in your office. And I promise you, if the SEC came in your office and you did that, you'd be dead to rights. You know that, okay? But this guy pulls this stunt because he's got no moral compass. And by the way, if anyone thinks I'm being a bit harsh, please, um, you know, I'm, 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 I'm happy to debate the facts. And there's nothing factually incorrect about what I said. I will tell you, because I've been in, you know, multi-billion dollar operations, that alone, the fact that somebody was thinking about that put stuff out like that, forget about it, it's right or it's wrong. It is wrong. It goes to motive. Like you would run, not walk as fast as you can away from anybody whose moral compass is so broken that, that they think that's an appropriate thing to do. You know, I, you know, we're all brought up. And I guess this, I mean, really on a rant now. We were all brought up. I suspect most of us. You do things because you're told it's the right thing to do. Not can I get away with it? Right. And there are too many assholes on Wall Street. Not just the guy who did this, but I could go, you know, Chamath, you could just go down the list. Kathy Woods, you know, Elon Musk, Lordstown Motor, Nikolai, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. They pull this stuff, these stunts, because they can get away with it. And, and and I'm saddened to say, going back to Flowpoint, he's he's right. This is this is this is this, this might likely not change until 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 we get the car crash. But I mean, I'm calling this guy out. This is just outrageous. I'm sure he's gonna well, listen to I'm sure he's gonna listen to this replay. Come on, bring it. Get your ass in here. All right. Yeah. If I, if I can make one more, one more point, George, I mean, it, 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 again, this is again, I don't know the firm. I don't know the guy, but um, the red flag for me, another one is any kind of serious institutional asset owner is going to look at that report and see the problems um, as, as well as vomit all over themselves with the volatility profile. So whether it's a um, a pension fund, a family office, an endowment, whatever, I mean that that is not a marketing sheet that's going to attract their attention in a favorable way. So then you have to question, okay, well, who is it targeting? Again, are, is it being targeted in a very incompetent way towards that pool of potential investors, or is it being tailored in a way that's trying to attract money from lesser sophisticated, high net worth type of people? You know. So that that's the other thing that struck me. I appreciate the KFAB. All right, so I got to go take my meds now, but I spoke my piece. 
So, uh, Flow Point, maybe just speak. I mean, I, I, we, I mean, I, I, we'll go back to your Twitter. So I'm, I'm sure there were some things you wanted to say, and we'll get back to your tweet from the other day. But thoughts, comments, reactions to anything we've been discussing here? No, I'm I'm in agreement with just about everybody. It's kind of disappointing that um, Morgan Stanley is Kathy's largest shareholder. You know, God knows what those how Morgan Stanley's justifying that position. I'd like, I'd love to hear what. Um, what they say. I mean, think think about it for a second, George. What what would we have to pay to get on Morgan Stanley's platform with products back in the day? A quarter of a million dollars just to get access to the platform. Then you have to go through a three year screening process where they go through all kinds of diligence. They examine your record, and yet they're pushing Arc funds. So where's the diligence? You know, where this is that's the disconnect that bothers me the most. Yeah, there's a breakdown from the regulators. Uh, there's a breakdown from people on the allocator side that ought to know better that don't. But I mean, what's what's Morgan Stanley doing? Hundred percent, hundred percent. All right, let's go back to your to your to your thread. Um, so you were saying retail only cares about performance; it can brag about a cocktail party. Okay, here we go. Then three, because because of two above, you are almost rooting for these morons to have their lunch handed to them. And when the lunch gets handed to them, I for one will be deliriously happy because. Absolutely deserve everything coming their way. I mean, dude, I so applaud. I'm totally with you. You and I are new best friends. Then you write just this week. Okay, now you got to explain. This is this is the money. This is the money. This is the one in your thread that got the most likes. It got 666 likes. So I want you to spend time in this. Just this week, a high net worth investor who brags about his investment acumen said this to me. I check Kathy Wood's market commentary every day, and she thinks that that that. Kathy, what is your portfolio construction resource? I want to shoot myself in the face. I mean, seriously, Kathy Wood, the one who is, you know, calling Miss, Miss, Miss uh, uh, Whale Oil Queen, oil's going to $12. Oil consumption peaked in 2019. It's never going to see that again. Oh, by the way, now she too is a, is a yield curve expert, all right? Um, you know, Miss Transitory, okay? So, I mean, seriously, Mr. Flowpoint, was, was, this, guy, was this guy with a straight face? Was he just being tongue in cheek, or was he serious when he goes, I, "I rely on Kathy Wood's commentary every day"? Was he being serious? CIO of a major firm with six hundred million dollars plus in assets. She's probably mid thirties, and it, Arc is one of his biggest holdings. So, yeah, I would take. I would assume that he was dead serious, and that's that's the alarming fact that you know that this guy's got responsibility over client portfolio construction, and Arc's his second biggest position. You can't make this stuff up. I mean, no, I you want, really can't. You can't. All right, let me keep going. Uh, I want to hear about this guy. So talk about this guy. Another investment investor showed me his portfolio. Tesla options. Hey, Albert, I hope you're listening. Tesla options, GME, AMC, NIO. These options are great. The returns are too good to pass up because they only go one way. He told me he got involved in AMC because everyone he knew was talking about it. Way to go, SEC. Was this guy like... Some crazy, or is this this is another guy with a lot of money? Like, who is this guy? He was one of the RAAs, the, the, the CIO that you know got Arc as the second biggest positions. He was one of their clients, and he was at this conference, um, and he was just showing me what he's got away from the RIA. We were having a sidebar conversation, and he was showing me this portfolio, and I'm like, "You got to be kidding me!" I mean, how? I, I I didn't even know what to say. I mean. So we got into a conversation about options and I started to talk to him about the whole gamma squeeze thing and Tesla. And he had no idea what I was talking about. And he didn't know who Bill Huang was. 
That's amazing. So how can you make this one of your largest positions and not understand the backdrop? I, and I'm, I'm looking at the guy. I couldn't get out of that room fast enough. Wow. So hold, just hold it there, flow points. So, so uh, uh, Albert, are you still there? Albert, uh, Albert, are you still there? Yeah, yeah, I'm here. Yeah, well, I mean, I don't know if you're pouring yourself a stiff drink or whatever. Are you? You just want to like shoot yourself? Like, what's your reaction to everything Flow Point is saying? This is insane. Look, uh, uh, you know, it reminds me of um, you know of, uh, of Bloodjet in uh, in 2000. It's exactly the same story, except uh, one is running money and the other one was uh, you know was a, a broker. But um, but it's, it's uh, so similar. It's just. You know, they're, George, they're basically the you know the great uh, the great uh, I mean the the stock promoters, but um, you know they, they you know it's a it's a great marketing story, but I don't know if she knows what she's uh, you know I I, I listen to her uh, YouTube um, you know t- uh, t- uh, channel once you know uh, she puts up a video uh, every every week or something and you know actually. I mean, she she has like two words. Like uh, uh, innovation is uh, innovation is great. Uh, innovation is go- you know is going up. Albert, 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 and- Albert, Albert, Albert. No, 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 no. Albert, Albert. You got to say after me. Repeat after me, Albert. Slowly. Innovation solves problems. Innovation <laughs> solves problems. Okay. And and then she she spends uh, you know forty five minutes on on uh, on the yield curve as and uh, economic stuff that you know she you know she obviously knows nothing about, and and then fifteen minutes on on you know on the companies that she knows nothing about and and uh, and um, you know and she talks about our analysts you know who, who uh, you know who are the greatest in the world and blah 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 I mean it's it's ridiculous. But the, the you know the most interesting thing I don't know you know we talked about that is you know she's getting inflows. You know, so the NAV is going down all the time, but actually the you know the the funds under management I mean the funds under management probably must be down because of the stock prices, but she she gets inflows. Hundred percent. So um, actually, I see Bob Klein has stepped into the room. Bob's been around; he's seen cycles. And I'm sure he's got an opinion about this. So, Bob, 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 let's say you, Bob. I, I couldn't resist stepping in here, George. Hearing stories, the really, you've got an environment where investors are stoned. They, it's like an, going into a, a, a room with people on acid, and and they've never been in one. <laughs> really? Wait, 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 Bob. I gotta tweet that out. It's like going into a room with people on acid. Was that yeah, the quote? That's what's happening. You you walk around you, you the Cappy Woods of the world, and the the people that uh, were being described by uh, Flowpoint. It's just it it, it 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 just it makes you crazy, and you you want to shake them. It's like the lunatics are running the asylum, and and this happens every every boom, every speculative boom, of course, as you guys know. But but the real arsonist here is the Fed. The Fed has doubled, more than doubled the money supply over the past couple of years, just in terms of the most liquid money, cash, checkable deposits. So most liquid funds have doubled. So what can you expect to happen? You're going to have a, a you know, a raucous bull market, and 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 the the people, the 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 dumbest kind of stupid investors look smart, as as you. <laughs> I'm preaching to the choir. I know you guys well know this, but that's what's going on here, and it's just. It's it, you just you just want to shake, you know, it, it just it's 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 so maddening to watch these idiots succeed. 
you know, for the short time that they do. And you know it's going to end, but it, it, it takes longer than you expect. And you look at Kathy Wood's inflows and, and, and you just you, you scratch, you just scratch your head and you say, what are people thinking? And I didn't know that about Morgan Stanley. That's interesting that they're, um, they're uh, sh uh, shilling for her and pushing her. That, that explains some of the persistent inflows. But I, I just, I just great to talk to all of you because I'm out here in California, uh, in Southern California, and uh, uh, I, I, the people I talk to or the people like Flowpoint talks to, and it's, it's, it's pretty maddening. So it's a sanity check to be on your calls, George. I appreciate everything you're doing. Appreciate it. Um, well, let me bring Robert in the conversation. Robert, you got something you want to add? Robert? Yeah. Um, thanks for having me. Um, I just wanted to point out a fun fact that I uh, heard someone say the other day about Kathy. So she upped her target to 50% uh, annualized, right? And in January, it was 40%, but her funds are down like 50%. Uh, so she's actually uh, been getting more bearish if you do the math. Um, anyway... Did you see the um, detail behind? Did you see the detail behind that model? Though she's expecting them to do ten million car sales in twenty twenty six. Ten million. Yeah, I mean, all of this is ridiculous. But I just thought it was funny that you know, with her funds down fifty percent since January, she should have actually said like sixty or seventy percent annualized returns. But uh, I guess maybe even she is getting a little uh, bearish. I just wanted to ask one question to Albert. Um, getting a little bit off topic if that's okay going back to to his presentation earlier go, yeah, uh, go for it go, go for it um, yep, yep. so i was uh, wondering um so we were expecting you're expecting uh, yields to rise and uh, real yields have been uh, rising very sharply recently but you're also bullish on gold which i am too i was wondering how you square those two because there has been quite a disconnect uh, in the last few weeks uh, between real yields and uh, gold and my kind of thesis and how this going to work out is that bonds are very oversold right now. I think we might get a short term uh, rip in bonds and that's going to be the catalyst with real yields going down. That could be the catalyst for gold and gold stocks uh, really going going up the next uh, move higher. I'd love to hear your take on that. <clears throat> All right. Um... I mean, if you know, if you if you look at the you know the price of gold and interest rates, you know, over, over very long periods of time, time you will see that, you know, interest rates. I mean, uh, yeah, that interest rates, well, gold can you know go up in in different type of interest rate environment. So um, you know, if 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 we are in an environment like the seventies, for example, um, you know, um, like between 1975 and and uh, and 1981, 1982, when Paul Volcker came in, so interest rates went up, you know, to uh, to the moon, and and gold prices, you know, were were uh, you know going um, to the moon as well. So, you know, I don't I don't think it's uh, it's um, you know it doesn't have to be exclusive, you know, that uh, gold. I mean, interest rates go up and gold might not go up. Um, you know, I think I think it's uh, it's it's um, it's not that important actually. So, Albert, let me ask a question a slightly different way. So, you know, obviously, if all hell breaks loose and the economy's going into recession, you know, they're going to get the printing presses out, money go burr, you know, on the road to Weimar. Okay, I get that. That's that's the way gold works. But let's say. Let's say we're in a world where just, you know, inflation is, is your the idea, though, that if, if we're just sort of in a slow growth world, 
But, you know, with that recession, without the Fed having to print more money, is it just the idea that real rates will stay negative and maybe, um, you know, the market starts to see that more and that's why the, 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 we, we, they'll bid up the price of precious metals? I mean, with, without having it, without the Fed expanding its balance sheet, because, again, you know, there's correlations come and go. But I think the question has to do with, you know, people show this correlation, spurious perhaps, but they show the Fed balance sheet against the gold price or against the stock market, blah, blah, blah. They show real rates. So the idea that, you know, if the Fed doesn't expand its balance sheet, how do you, th- is it more the idea that, that gold is sort of anti-financial asset? Like, what's the narrative that you would put with why gold would go up even yeah. in the world? Yeah. So, 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 so what would your rationale be? I, I think that's what it is. It's, 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 uh, it's the, the new version of, uh, of Tina. You know, it's like there's only one alternative, and and that's gold. Um, you know, I view it like that. Right. Um, look, I mean, the 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 uh, the uh, I mean, I think you know, uh, I mean, I think we you know, if you think about it, I think we, we I mean, inflation is actually here to stay and and to stay for quite some time and to be you know to be uh, elevated. Uh, again, you know, you've got these commodity stuff, you got defense spending. You have the uh, you know climate change, which you know which is going to bring more spending uh, and more uh, more um, you know uh, supply problems for commodities and so on. So I mean, there's a, basically a, a wall of money, which I mean they, they have to depreciate. You know, the currencies, governments are going to have to spend more and more money, go into more and more deficits and stuff like that. Um, and you know, it seems like uh, you know currencies are going to be. You know, it's the old story, but it looks like uh, the, you know currencies are going to be uh, debased. Yes, no, I, I think you're. And, and then, 100%. and then, and then, and then, you know, if you want the catastrophic scenario, but w- which has some, some, you know, some way to go. I think, you know, this this uh, Ukraine, uh, Russia stuff. I think is. I mean, could be very, very serious, and you know, there people writing about it. But there is a de-dollarization uh, process going on. Okay, so like uh, you know, it's the wet dreams of the Russians and the Chinese, uh, you know, to have the uh, the the U.S. Uh, I mean, the U.S. dollar losing its uh, reserve status, and it's you know, it, it's pro it might not lose its uh, its uh, reserve status, but it may lose you know its uh, prominent state status as a reserve yeah. currency. 100%. So you know, if if the Russian starts to to buy, you know, com- uh, stuff from India, you know, for for rupee and and uh, India buys. Uh, oil for ruble i mean you know you know they're talking about that and you know it's some some kind of a form of barter and the chinese you know are buying you know the chinese are talking about buying oil from saudi arabia in in yuan um you know there's it seems like there could be a drive to to um you know to make the uh the, the dollar a lot less um important as it is right now 100%. And, if, and if that happens i mean you know if this happens then uh, uh, you know, I think gold is going to go uh, berserk. Right. That's great. That's great. All right. So stay there, Albert. Uh, we got yeah. more questions coming for you. Just want to update everybody. Um, we're picking up some steam here. Uh, this was some ge- very generous contributions. We've raised, I think, 1500 bucks so far uh, in the last uh, 45 minutes, which is awesome. Um, so, again, if you're getting value from these spaces, uh, please give generously to World Central Kitchen. So, hey, put the link up at the top. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're dealing with first world problems here. There are people out there who really need us. And, um, you know, if you've gotten value from these spaces, please, please give generously. All right. So 
flow point. It's back to you now. So we're, we're about halfway through your through your uh, thread. This is this is this is great. So okay, so we we will just pick up where we left off. So you so you were you had this other guy who was bragging to you about his Tesla options and his AMC and his GameStop. Okay, so then you go. I asked him to identify the risks in AMC's business. What do you mean? Was the response with a straight face? I went through comps with him, a basic balance sheet, and cash flow projection. Got the dead trout look. Like, like flow point. Was it like this dude had no clue what you're talking about, or he just didn't want to deal with it? He was in denial. Like, like how could how could someone in a position of financial responsibility, a fiduciary, like not give you a thoughtful response? Like, like what, what was this guy's deal? You will you will look at their balance sheet and their cash flow statement, and and Cubico has done a really good job just outlining the cash flow issues that AMC faces, the declines at the top line and how that filters down through uh, the rest of the uh, P&L. This guy had no idea what kind of a precarious position AMC was in from a cash flow standpoint, from an operations standpoint, none, zero. He believes in Adam Aaron's uh, nonsense that they're going to turn it around and there's going to be this influx of new customers and that's going to you know change everything at the top line and popcorn and whatever the hell else he believes he's just buying into the nonsense that that Aaron is spewing and he's never put pen to paper and actually looked at what AMC looks like on an operating basis he, and he just didn't seem to care he, he I, I don't know maybe these guys are playing a game of musical chairs and maybe they think they're going to trade themselves out of it. But but look at AMC's chart. The stock's down 50%. I know. And, and you know what's amazing, too? I mean, I, I, I've gone on the weeds at AMC like you have. Adam Aaron is selling and the insiders are selling every single share of stock they could possibly sell as soon as they get their hands on them when, when the options vest. It's unfreaking believable. Um, and by the way, by the way, I once went to an AMC apron. Never again. These people... They're in this sort of dystopian parallel universe. I mean, it's just unbelievable. You can't – none of them do any work. None of them do any of the numbers. They, they don't know what they're talking about. All right, let's move on. So then you write in, your, in, in, in number seven, not a one of these high net worth nitwits knew what a gamma squeeze was. Some had never even heard of it. Not one knew who Bill Wang was or what the average analyst return of stocks has been since 1999. Zero perspective. Like, flow point, were you on drugs when you were writing this? No, no, definitely not. Definitely not. <laughs> Portfolio construction, taking gains, selling early, discipline exits were all concepts utterly alien to these people. I looked at one guy's portfolio and asked, why do you own so many consumer names? The answer was, why, why does that matter? They're just stocks. Could you imagine, like, back in the day, I mean, when you worked at a bigger firm or whatever, or just where you are now with your partners, could you imagine going into in meeting with, with responsible financial people. And like, if somebody, you heard somebody say stuff like this, you would like call for the cops. Like this is unbelievable. Okay. You'd be surprised at how many RIAs have no idea what the unintended tilts look like in their portfolios. They have no idea. They haven't, they haven't done kind of a top down. So, so, they, so they don't know anything about factors and all that kind of stuff. No, or the no factor space. investing. I didn't even want to get into factor investing with these guys. Because God knows where that would have taken us. Oh, yeah, yeah. All right. Let's keep going here. We're going to wrap this one up, this thread up anyway. I don't mean to demean the thoughtful individual investor, but actually you're too nice a guy. I would have meant to demean. I probably would put his name out there. Because some do exist. But I've been utterly shocked at how disproportionately skewed my sample set has been. Because the idiots outnumber the thoughtful by 10 to 1. Again, the lunatics are running the asylum. The driving force for all of them was greed. 
absolutely no regard for anything else except for how much money they have made. Sell-offs are nothing but buy-the-dip opportunities created by the weak knees. And finally, so when this ends in tears, I will very quietly sit there and watch CNBC hang all crepe and smile. They deserve it all. I mean, doesn't there seem to be this holy alliance from, you know, the shyster promoters, the Elon Musk's of the world, to the enablers, the the CNBC crowd, the, the John Nigerians, you know, prices, truth, idiots, to the um, you know, the individual investor. It's just greed. I mean, it, it's just the whole food chain. And, and what I wonder about flow point, there's a question here. Like, until this, we know this is going to end in tears, but really there's, there's no, I don't see any other way that these guys are going to get the memo because it's like the dream lives. It's like they, they, just, they just don't get it. I mean, so... You think just that, 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 you know, in a bear market, as Andrew Smithers once said, the role of a bear market is to return capital to its rightful owners. And I fear the same is true here right now. So to me, I think it's, it's inevitable. These guys are all going to get destroyed. What do you think? Um, I, I kind of want them to get destroyed, but I want there to be a different response to it this time. I mean, the last time people got destroyed, we got Dodd-Frank and then we got Sarbanes-Oxley, two of the worst pieces of legislation ever to come out of Washington, D.C., just utterly useless, not even close to accomplishing what they were meant to accomplish. So when when WorldCom took out, you know, hundreds of thousands of individual investors and and all the populace started popping up, this time I don't want to hear from Elizabeth Warren. Just sit down. Don't, they, these people know exactly what they're doing. They're pl- they're gambling the way they want to gamble. Let them gamble. And when it when it unwinds and they all lose it all and they're on bread lines, too bad. Let it go. No more new legislation. They should have learned their lesson their last time. They didn't. Let it go. I don't want to hear from you. It's just outrageous. All right. Uh, Amy. Hello, Amy. How are you? Hello, sir. You know that I've been pretty outspoken about the AMC stuff, so I just wanted to tell you, I I think I know why. This is why. The insiders are selling so much. They... They made a, 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 they voted on a comp plan in 2020 that says that they were going to give up their salaries and bonuses in exchange for shares that could not vest unless the stock price doubled or tripled. So I think what happened is they, they took that, they voted that in, they got their shares, everything they've seen since has probably responsible for the price and those shares started to vest in 21 which is you know what a year later they they started to vest and that's why they're dumping them because the the share price was i mean they've been dumping since you know 50 40 30 all the way down so um and then the other ones will continue to vest as long as the share price stays doubled or tripled from when the comp plan went into effect. Wow. So, so, so the float is going up enormously. Yeah. Um, and, 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 and the valuation is still insane. I mean, I don't know. I mean, Amy, where do you think the stock goes? You know, on a fundamental basis, is this thing worth anything? Like, what do you think, on a fundamental basis, what, what is it worth, Amy? Fundamentally, if they stay on the track that they're on right now, um, which I don't think they are, if you check the box office numbers, Quarter by quarter, I, I know quarter one is, is pretty tragic, but um, 
they do have a bunch of big movies coming out. It, it, there is a very large crowd, you know, promoting it. So if they stay on the track they're on right now, I think fundamentally it's a 5 to $7 stop. Right. And are you, are you saying, though, in the short run, there'll be some big hits coming out, so they may have some, some better numbers for a short while? I think so. I, I think that, I mean, you can't deny the, 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 the fire behind the, the quote-unquote ape movement. Um, so I think that there are people who are subscribed wholly to the buy and hold, which is why I think the stock stays pinned between $13 and $20. It has a run-up whenever the shorts cover, which I think that's what we saw on the that um, right. burst up to 34 and then it dropped down. But So I think it's going to stay pinned. For that's that's what about the range for the the buy and hold crowd, right? The ones that are not selling, but I think it's ludicrous to think that some people retail within that movement aren't selling. They're they're losing patience. They're selling. They're moving on. They're seeing other people make money on other plays, and then they're they're putting their money in those plays. So I mean, I think there's some shifting going around, but there is, I think, a range of those buy and holders who keep it elevated. I'd like to add something on AMC. Um, the, the narrative that management is pushing, and, and it's really uh, travesty, is that, look, we're this poor old company. We just got blindsided by the pandemic. And it's, as Adam Aaron says, it was breathtaking, our moves that we need to survive, <laughs> blah, 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 blah. That's the narrative. But, but the truth is very different. This company borrowed over $2 billion to buy three movie chain uh, companies from 2015 to 2017. So they buried themselves in debt, expanding during the, right in the throat of the boom in streaming. And here comes Adam Aaron uh, buying up three, three movie chains, borrowing money to do it. And he, and he, he, he made his own bet. He, he literally almost destroyed the company as then the pandemic hit, of course, and then streaming really took hold, and, and he got bailed out by the Fed. If the Fed hadn't done what they had done, uh, he, he, he would have he gone bankrupt. And, and yet, the story is very different. He, the story is this, this glowing uh, Messiah story that we, we keep hearing from him, his constant tweets. And you get, I can't take the conference calls. Uh, they're just... They're, just lavishly praising himself and and uh, droning on and on about what a miracle he's he's created and and, and going to create in the future. So um, this is this is just um, run by 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 people that don't deserve what they got, and and it's 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 a travesty the bill of goods that they're selling the world, and and unfortunately the press is lapping it up, you know, the Jim Cramers of the world are lapping it up, and it's. It's more, uh, more, more nonsense. Well, again, we're, we're, we're in this post-truth society where nobody does any work. They just get their, as you say, they, they, they just, you know, they, they, they get their information from Jim Cramer or CNBC or God knows what. Um, and the truth becomes what people say it is. And so whether it's Elon Musk making shit up about reservation lists or it's Adam Aaron or it's, or it's, you know, it's 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 all the same. It's all the same thing, and 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 they're getting away with this because 
none of these companies have to justify themselves in, in terms of fundamental performance. I mean, think about what's an asset worth. It's worth a lot of things, but it could be what the last person's willing to pay for it. It could be a multiple of cash flow or book value. It could be, it could be any one of a number of things. And right now, there's just too much freaking money in the system. And so all these things are being are floating along on a sea of liquidity. And when the tide goes out as it is, you know, uh, prices will converge to a more fundamental valuation. So I think all this crap is just going to get completely destroyed. Amy, I see your hands back up. Your floor yeah, I just wanted to, wanted to respond to Bob. So, you know, I think that that goes back to the comp plan that I was talking about in 2020. So if you look at the timeline, theaters stayed closed through 2020. And they, they made that change in February of 2020. So they had all just gotten shares, right, that, that were based on the stock price doubling and tripling, but then theaters stayed closed. So I think the right path for, for the company would have been for him to declare bankruptcy, retire the debt, but then he, they, would have had to reti- they would have had to give up their equity. So instead, they took very toxic financing, took on, you know, six, was it six or seven billion dollars worth of debt and thought they would just climb out. But I, I think that has a lot to do with the fact that in February of 2020, they all got a lot of shares and right. they weren't, they weren't giving up their equity, especially not Adam Aaron. I mean, he, right. he's taken home, you know, 60, 50, 60 million dollars in 21. It's outrageous. It's outrageous. And they all got, all of a sudden they all were on the 105B or 101010 what is it 10B51 I can't remember what it is but they were all on that plan right so that they could start selling off these shares that vested because the share price escalated I mean a- Amy like really uh, Amy I'm just going to mute you cuz there's some background noise here which when when you're not talking so 100% and, and whether this is legal illegal or it should be illegal doesn't matter we would all say it's wrong so you know, whether you say, well, they could do this within them breaking any laws and the laws are wrong. I mean, everyone's just trying to freaking game the system. So before we continue this conversation, I just want to say I'm very grateful to all of you for pitching in. I've seen we've, we've had about 14, 15 people throw a few bucks in the till here in the last hour. Gary Armstrong, Richard Hughes, Armand DePaul, Greg Coat, Dang99, Todd Lally, Trader Low, Elizabeth Wang, a couple of anonymous was, Jayesh Gupta, Terry Peterson, Peter DiCaprio, Brian Humphreys and Dennis uh, Roginius. So thanks to all of you. And again, if you're getting any value from this room, please, please, please give to World Central Kitchen. They are truly doing God's work. Um, so, so stay there, Amy. I want to hear more from you, but I want to bring some others in the conversation I haven't spoken yet. My good friend, Bobby J. What's on your mind, Bobby J.? Yeah, one thing that we don't talk about is um, if we are heading into an environment with a 35 4% 10-year note, a widening of high yield spreads because of a higher VIX. Do you want to own a portfolio of equities that have an average rating of BA2 or junk? And if you look at Kathy Wood's portfolio, um, that's something that I don't hear. And what's the real reason? You know, what do they have in common? Tesla, BA1, uh, Twilio, BA3, Block, BA2. Um, you know, Coinbase, BA2. So is the real reason uh, behind the performance of this portfolio, the one thing they have in common across 
is that they either don't have a credit rating or they're below investment grade. And I'll leave you with that. So Bobby J, brilliant insight. Now, Amy, let me take this. So first of all, for those of you who know him, uh, you know, Bobby's forgot more about credit than pretty much everybody in this room will ever know put together. He's going to be speaking, by the way. Um, I didn't put out the official uh, Twitter reminder because this is an annoying problem on Twitter. You only can have one reminder at a time. So we're actually having, for those of you who don't know it, um, but by the way, I, I did put out a tweet that Bobby J is going to be speaking in our space. I believe it's Tuesday at 430 with Marty Fridson, who is sort of like the doyen of credit. So the two of them are going to be in conversation talking about credit and why should dumb equity guys like yours truly think worry, be worried about credit. I think that is, I was not aware, Bobby J, of what you just said. I was just looking at these stocks saying, you know what? They're all high valuations, high multiple, they're going to blow up because yields are going up. I hadn't even looked at the balance sheets of these things. One question I do want to ask you, Bobby J, when they look at the credit ratings of these things, how the way the rating agencies do their ratings, say you have a company which has a billion dollars in debt and it's got a market cap of a billion. And then the equity goes nuts and the equity is worth 10 billion. And the fundamentals of the company haven't changed. The stated, you know, uh, debt to equity is the same. The losses are still the same. But now the equity, the capitalization, Amy, just stated, that. I want Bobby J to answer this. The, the equity piece is worth a lot more now. So it's like Tesla. This is what Tesla did. By blowing up the freaking equity value, everyone's saying, well, look, oh, you know, they can raise money now, so it's a better credit risk. So when the rating agencies do these things, how does the market value of the equity affect the credit rating, Bobby? Yeah, it, it really doesn't have a big impact on the credit rating. I mean, it kind of lowers the firm's uh, cost of capital, which, you know, that's kind of an iffy measure anyway. Sure. But um, I, I would say that on the way down, ever since the financial crisis, the, um, the rating agencies have put alarms and scans to track uh, uh, declining stock prices uh, more as a forward indicator of a credit problem but it does not um impact because they're they're looking at cash flow coverage ratios right. yeah. and the ability so, to so, pay so, so, yeah, yeah so i i thought that was the case but i just wanted to ask the question um because i was trying to like trying to be as nice as possible to these bullshit companies like tesla and amc maybe wondering that it, cause the equity piece goes way up in value that maybe that would help them but you're telling me it's not the case and before we go back to amy and then be followed by kfab um, I just want to remind everyone, I started to mention, so Bobby J is going to be with Marty Fritzen in conversation all about credit. For those of us that need credit education, one-on-one for dummies, strongly advise you to do it. That's Thursday at 4.30. The other one we're having is um, Monday, and I'm going to retweet this out, so hey, but just to mark, mark it down. The Eric Nuttall uh, presentation, actually he just messaged me about an hour ago. Is going to be is moved up to three o'clock. He's got a personal matter, so it's going to be it's going to start at three p.m. Eastern time. For those of you who don't know him, uh, Eric Noddle is the preeminent uh, energy um, uh, Canadian energy investor from Nine Point out of Toronto. Um, does great work. A really good guy. Is generous in, in, in sharing his information. I urge all of you, actually, uh, he did a webinar about a week ago. I think it's up on their website. It's not in, so if you want to, well, no, actually, don't throw it up in the mess because I want the charity thing to stay up here. If you follow Eric Nuttall, N-U-T-T-A-L-L, Eric Nuttall, 
Um, for those of you who don't know him, he does great work. He is incredibly generous with his with his stuff. He, you could Google him. He's in the Financial Post all the time. This is Canadian Wall Street Journal. Talking about why he likes what he likes. He just recently did a webinar with Mike Rothman, who's my favorite energy analyst, uh, interviewing Mike, talking about the outlook for the crude price itself. That is available for free if you go to their website. And so what we're going to do on Monday is I think we're going to talk more about individual stock ideas. So Eric Nuttall, for my money, I mean, there's some other people around the place. So Abe is part of the Canadian oil mafia. Um, you know, there are tons of great guys. He knows energy, oil gods in the room, Shabam, Marcellus, Energy Burrito, uh, Alberto Garbage, et cetera, et cetera, Alberta Garbage, et cetera, et cetera. So if you want to know why you really should look at Canadian energy, He's your guy, and he's going to be on at 3 o'clock on Monday. And, again, anything and everything you want to know about credit, credit for dummies, Bobby J. and Marty Fritzen on Tuesday. I just just listen to myself bullshit, you people. I can't believe the quality of the speakers we have in these rooms. It's just phenomenal. That's why I keep saying our, our the quality of these rooms is unsurpassed and why, again, I implore all of you to please give generously to world central kitchens i think we've raised two thousand bucks now in the last hour bobby j you want to say something yeah uh the other thing is i urge everybody to google marty fritzen if you don't know who he is you should and one book you should have on your desk is financial statement analysis by marty it's the bible thank you for that bobby so um we're gonna amy do you want to add something then we'll follow with kfeb I did. I wanted to for for Bob. It's what I don't understand is we were when we were me and a couple other people who watch uh, AMC when they just had that run to thirty four and it increased their market cap by I think eight billion dollars. We were looking at the bonds and the bonds barely ticked up, barely ticked up, like barely moved, even adding eight billion. And I think it's because they don't have it. They they can't raise equity from so these these increases. He doesn't have any ability. He doesn't have any authorized shares to raise capital. So the bonds are just steady falling. So that's something to pay attention to, too, with AMC. Thank what you for that. What they're trading for. Thank you for that. KFAB, what's up? Yeah, George, just again, uh, I think if this whole markets thing doesn't work out for you, you got a future to replace Jerry Lewis. So you're doing a great job. Um <laughs> <laughs> but, but, Bob, uh, two, two quickies on the credit side uh, with what went on last week in um, France. Any anything that uh, jumped out at you relative to European credit? And then uh, I know you've been a, a hawk on uh, or watching it like a hawk in U.S. kind of consumer ABS related stuff. Any any uh, update there? Yeah, no, um, I think it's early yet. It's going to work its way through the banking system. Uh, European banks, particularly Italian banks have not gotten back on their feet after the financial crisis and then after COVID. Um, I think non-performers in Italy will be the first to go up from the 4% area, heading back up to the 10% area. And European credit um, is going to go through a very rough patch. Okay, you, you didn't say anything specifically last week with Macron going into the runoff coming up this week? That no, no, okay. no. I, okay. I, I think... You know, I, I, you know, it's it's more of what's going to happen to uh, European growth and also the, the migration problems right. uh, are going to be expensive. So 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 KFAB, I mean, I, I'm really looking forward to hearing Marty and uh, Bobby talk on Tuesday. It's going to be a real treat for all of us. By the way, when you mentioned Europe, one thing I do want to ask and Albert, are you still there, Albert? 
Albert, I want to get Albert back up here for a second here. So one thing you mentioned Europe, Albert, if you will, uh, please come on up. Um, you mentioned Europe, and one of the things I'm, I don't really have an opinion, I'm watching. We all know predicting elections is uh, problematic. But does anybody on stage have an opinion, an informed opinion, about the possibility that Le Pen could win the election, the French presidential election? Uh, shrub, aha, shrub to win. <laughs> so, so, so shrub, shrub, shrub. I'm not asking you who you want to win. I'm asking you in Trump-like fashion, is there a chance that Le Pen is going to win? I don't think there's a chance, but let me put it this way, because I've sent out a few bearish tweets uh, about the euro and the European economy. But here's the important thing. The important thing is not that whether Le Pen wins now or not. It's the fact that close to one in two French people are supporting an extreme left or right-wing party that has affiliation and affection for Putin. Now, this is the most important thing. And this is scary, George. Because... Shrub, yeah, yeah, Shrub, let me interrupt for a second, okay? Because you're a world traveler. Or most of the people in this room are in North America. Could you just maybe give us a stream of consciousness, uh, sort of like, you know, attitude, just... Uh, because for most people in this room, we're like, wait a second, how could they have affiliation for Putin? Could you please explain, like, what is it that someone who's sitting in Canada or America wouldn't appreciate about the European attitude towards Putin? Because for most of us in this room, hearing you talk and say that, it's shocking. Can you please ex put some color behind that? Look, the, the problem with France is, uh, and bear in mind, I'm, I'm speaking to you, uh, I'm talking uh, from France right now. Um so the problem is, I've asked my accountant and my secretary about this specific uh, point, uh, and uh, one of them admitted that uh, she's voting for Le Pen, and the other one told me that her parents are voting for Le Pen. They don't really care about Putin at this point. They care about immigration, and in their, in their mind, um, they hate Macron more than they hate Le Pen. And I've had this theory for a while, and this is like complete speculation, that the lockdowns and COVID has just made everyone resentful of the current government, whatever, the, whatever that government may be. So they will always look at the grass is greener on the other side. So they, they blame Macron for locking them down for two years and restricting their freedoms and uh, putting vaccine passports. So they're willing to vote for someone who's actually su supporting a you know, uh, uh, someone who's doing a genocide, which is insane. But uh, look, I, I've kind of lost uh, trust in Europe right now. I am very pro-European, just to be clear. And I have joked that uh, Europe has improved since World War II, because in World War II, 100% uh, of the French were under, Nazi, under the Nazis, um, whereas now it's only one in two who support the <laughs> fascist regime. <laughs> Uh, instead of 100%. And, you know, back in World War II, it was the Germans doing the killing, and now it's the Germans financing the Russians to do the killing. And uh, as funny as it sounds, it's the reality. I mean, it's, it's extremely sad. So how can you invest? And going back to the investment implications, I don't have a single euro in my name. Like, I have not, I have, I live in Europe. It's my, 
we're talking about a unit of half a billion people, and I have zero euro uh, euro exposure. I'm all in uh, USD, Canadian, uh, Australian, and Nokis. So if you want to get a, a, an investment recommendation out of my rant about the European politics, is that it's a very weak union. They're they're an election away from a disaster. That's the important takeaway for me. So you don't really, I, I think. You kind of want to stay invested in the U.S. and uh, Canada, Australia, from that perspective. Um, so, 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 Shrub, coming back to my one of my many rants in this room, the whole you know triple demerit scenario. I'm you know I'm very convicted. I, I strongly, strongly believe I could be wrong. But it's high conviction view for me that oil prices are going up. It's a high conviction for me that rates are going up dollar to the extent that it's not europe and europe is totally screwed up by um what's going on with 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 the ukraine and russia and the energy situation you know i could easily i mean the euro is very undervalued but i can see it like going down a lot more because of what's happening geopolitically so you said you don't have any money in euros and i said put a gun to your head euro upward and again i'm not going to hold you to it i'm just trying to get your idea of conviction you know gun to head like like you know okay so you have no money in euros i get it but if I said to you, give me your bet, you know, like how bearish are you in the euro? Do you think it's just not going to go up or do you think you can really fall out of bed? Like, like what would, just go a little bit more on the euro. It's, it's, it's yeah, undervalued. Sure. It's undervalued, but it's very It's undervalued, that's for sure. But yeah. let me put it this way. So the reason why I'm looking, the currencies are always a relative trade, right? So the Australian currency is six times covered by resources and energy. So they cover their own needs by six times. Even the U.S. has like uh, is self-sufficient energy. Canada is covered multiple times as well. Europe is covering its energy needs uh, like 20, 30 percent. And the rest comes from outside. So, you know, my my bearish euro thesis is actually a bullish energy thesis. So, you know, I'm going to take it a step further. I'm not only bearish euro. Uh, I'm long European real estate backed by fixed rate mortgage. Um, and my assets are invested in uh, energy and commodities in in real currencies. <laughs> so, so am I bearish that I think it's going to go to you know fifty cents? Not really, but I'm bearish enough that I'm willing to put my assets. In no, I, 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 I yeah. get it. So, I get yeah. it. So, 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 let me put it to you this way: I'm not trying to hold you to it. Okay, I'm just trying to calibrate your bearish. I think the parity. I think we could see parity. Okay, that was the question I was going to ask. So, so you yeah. think parity's not out of the question? Yeah, and look, I think Macron is probably going to win. I, I think he's going to win like with an eighty percent chance, and you probably will see a bounce there. I'm I'm not going to get side you know I'm not going to get sidetracked and try and chase it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's funny you say it. It's like when people say, "Gee, um, you know, Kathy Wood arcs oversold. You know, do you want to buy something? I don't give it's a shit. Same thing. It's the same I thing. Don't give a shit. It, yeah. It's a piece of shit. It's not. It's yeah. a. It's a sinker, not a floater. Excuse my vulgarity. And, <laughs> and also, uh, just just to add one one quick point on yes. this. So the ECB met this week. The ECB is the most irresponsible uh, central bank uh, probably out there. Uh, like the BOJ, they have an inflation problem that's a disaster, and they're still buying bonds. And we have negative fifty bips interest rate so if you guys think the fed are crazy the ecb is like whole different level <laughs> that's awesome okay did you have a comment you wanted to make otherwise i'm gonna to go to arthur K-Fab. yeah no, just real quick on the concept of and i've been saying this for weeks now um everyone's been talking about how strong the dollar's been and um i know three aces has been focused on it and 
Um, I've been arguing the U.S. dollar has not been strong as much as it's been the euro and the yen have been weak. And if you look at things like the South African Rand, the Brazilian Real, I mean, there's plenty of commodity currencies that have been doing, you know, normally in a risk off environment, you'd get these kinds of currencies getting pummeled against the U.S. dollar. Uh, if it was a true risk off liquidity issue, you know, flight to quality, that kind of thing. Uh, so this has just been really severe euro and yen weakness that's made the dollar because a lot of people just look at Dixie and they, they translate that to USD uh, when the vast majority of that is euro and yen. It's an excellent point and, 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 and everyone needs to pay attention to that. I mean, KFAB, that's, that's fabulous. Um, so hold on. Before we go to so let's before we go to Arthur uh, uh, Albert's back. So uh, Albert, do you want to talk about Macron or anything else we've been talking about the last few minutes? Yeah, I just wanted to uh, to give my uh, my French perspective on that um, and and on the euro uh, or Europe. So uh, first on the election, I, I think it's um, I mean I would say it's ninety nine point nine percent chance that Macron wins, and I think he will win. Uh, you know. Um, it's going to be like sixty, uh, like uh, fifty-five, forty-five, or or more for Macron. I think the there's not a chance that uh, Le Pen wins, and uh, you know I wouldn't be I wouldn't be scared by any any you know a, any of that uh, probability. And on the euro and and Europe, I, I do agree. I, I do agree that Europe is uh, is pretty screwed, uh, unless you know unless or until there is a regime change in. Uh, in Russia, but you know, let's face it. I mean, who is going to invest? You know, even let's say France, uh, Spain, Portugal. You know, as far away as uh, as Russia is possible, or, or the UK, maybe they're fine. But who's going to invest in uh, in the Czech Republic, or in Slovakia, or in uh, Hungary, or in Poland, or you know, and all these countries which are bordering uh, Russia are uh, you know have been big drivers uh, of economic growth in uh, in Europe. So and now you've got this, uh, you know, this huge uh, Damocles sword, you know, on on top of all these uh, all these countries, and and I think you know Europe is going to be screwed for um, you know for a very very long time. Uh, so I, I, you know, when you when you look at the, uh, you know, the premium of U.S. equities versus Europe, and Europe is so cheap and so on, but I think there's going to be, you know, the, I mean, Europe is going to be at a permanent uh, discount. Uh, you know, to the U.S. for a long time. And in fact, now you can understand why Europe was so cheap is that, uh, you know, the market is always right. And, yes, uh, yes, you know, yes, Albert, let me ask, let me ask you a question because we, we, you and I are all both concerned about the market. I mean, you and I also like spread trades and pairs trades. So just listen to you talk. I mean, you talk about how you like Argentina and Brazil. How about just like going long Latin America versus short Europe on a spread basis? Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, I, actually, I think uh, I, I quite like long Latin America and short Asia, actually. Asia X Japan. Wait, so hold on, hold on. No, wait, which is bigger garbage, Asia X Japan or Europe? Uh, so if I said to you, you could be long <laughs> Asia, Asia versus Europe or Europe versus Asia, which one do you think is the better trade? I don't know. It's probably all shit. I mean, I'll, 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 you know, I'll, 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 I'll be long, I'll be long Latin America, you know. You know, I've got to trade long Latin America versus uh, the uh, EEM ETF, the Emerging Market ETF, which is you know a lot of uh, Chinese stocks. But you know, chi- you know, the, I think there's going to be. I mean, ch- um, you know, Asia, Asia's got uh, Asia's got its own you know geopolitical risk with uh, China and Taiwan. Right. Um, you know, maybe that's going to so, happen. So, so 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 I'm gonna, I'm teasing KFAB. So KFAB wants to sharpen up his factor exposure. So basically, we want to be doing. 
is being long Latin America commodity-based, resource-based stocks versus short a bunch of Asian-based technology stocks. Would that, would that be even a better yeah, that's expression? A, that's, that, that's the same thing, yeah. Yeah. KFAB, you like that one, KFAB? Yeah, I'd, I'd probably throw in a little bit of uh, uh, convex currency hedging in some of those uh, EMs because uh, they've, they've run quite a bit here acutely. And if, if we do get this kind of risk off um, flight to quality at some point, i.e. the U.S. market finally uh, spills and dips quite a bit um, and there's true liquidation going on globally, then I, I, I'd want a little bit of currency protection yeah, there. Yeah, but, but, but KFAB, you know something? Normally I would agree with you. But listening to Albert talk and based on something I read the other day, I think it was from GavCal or whatever, it points out despite a risk-off environment, you know, some EM currencies have been appreciating because they're better no, currencies. Yeah, that's, a, all that yeah that's what I'm saying. If that reverses, I'd want some, I, I'd want to hedge it. I wouldn't go crazy, but I'd want I, some. I get it. I get it. I get it. Okay, that, that's helpful. That's helpful. Yeah. All right, we're going to go to Arthur and then Scott D. Arthur, what's up? Arthur? I don't know where Arthur is. All right, Scott. Arthur, unmute yourself if you're listening. All right, Scott D, please unmute yourself if you're listening. Scott D. Oh, Arthur, you're there. Go for it, Arthur. Okay, thanks, George. Um, real quick, I wanted to ask, um, I wanted to ask uh, uh, Bobby J if he tracks or he's following the MBB or the HYG, both of which are at uh, lows that we haven't seen since 2009, and and if he has any any comments about those two vehicles yeah i think the purest way to follow high yield spreads is go to the st louis fed and look at the ice bank of america merrill lynch index b of a ml um option adjusted spread those two that you mentioned also have a treasury component so they don't have a pure spread it's another one of those CNBC, um, you know, crowd pleasers that they threw out. And if you think you're following high yield by watching HYG, you're not because you, you, you don't have the spread action there. So go to that. And we'll be talking about that Tuesday. Yeah, Bobby J, apropos of that question, the spirit of that question, for the average home gamer, as Jim Cramer would, would call them, what liquid traded thing can people look at to give them a better a better uh, idea of credit? Like, for instance, maybe it's not HYG because the yield components. So maybe you look at the spread between HYG and TLT, or maybe there's some other ETF. Like, for someone who's doing this at home who doesn't have your visibility and your experience, like, how do they get a handle? And then even even if you were to isolate the duration exposure, you may, you and I have talked about this. It may be a problem where, you know, energy spreads are coming in because energy is going up. But meanwhile, exactly. all, the, all the tech and consumer crap is blowing up. So then you got to get down to it on a sector basis. Or is it just so nuanced and complicated that, is, uh, as the saying goes, don't try this at home? Like, what, would you, what would your advice be? You no, know, I would say go to the St. Louis Fed. It's free. You can, you can get great bond information there, easy graphs. You can make a dashboard. Just sign up an account. It's, you know, it's... There's no really shortcut around this, um, George, in terms of getting that spread information. Why, you know, why start doing calculations when you can go straight to that uh, indicator? So, yeah, so, that? so, yeah, so, Bobby, is, is, that, is that the FRED, the FRED? Yes, FRE, FRED, and look at just, just within that, do a search for ICE index. Um, maybe we'll be posting that um, 
I could actually post that on this room. Yeah, but, but, but Bobby J, what is the ice index? What is that? It's just it's just a um, I, I I don't know exactly what it, the acronym is, stands for, but it's a B A two uh, yield spread. All right, okay, all right. It's the so, best so, thing uh, out there. It's pure. It's pure. KFAB, KFAB, yeah, what's up? yeah. Just quick, there's two two uh, ETS for dummies. So they probably on a, they're not terribly liquid, but on a daily basis, just for people if they want to kind of look at stuff. Um, HYGH. So it's basically uh, interest rate hedged. Uh, for the HYG again, I, to all pop right. points are are per, you know very pertinent, but you know again for a simple thing, and then LQD also has one LQDH for for investment grade corporates. So okay, so, so each of those strip out the duration component. Is that what you're saying? Uh, yeah, basically their interest rate hedge. The, the, the other thing for for a mortgage perspective, one that I've looked at um, is if you look at some of the preferred stock from mortgage REITs like Annaly. Um, you know, if they're trading relative, you know, pretty close to par around 25, 24, you know, usually you're not getting any kind of major uh, mortgage market disruption. When those things start to get hit, that's when you start to see things really start to go haywire. Yeah, you know, they, they break down into the 23, 22. Yeah, so, so, so Keith, that's fabulous. Absolutely fabulous. By the way, I, I'm not going to speak for anybody. I'm just going to speak for myself. But yeah, it's funny. I'm looking at this thing. I promised myself I started this room today. It was only going to go for two hours. We're at two hours and fifty minutes, and like, and like my 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 partner Susan just walked in. He's like, "When are you gonna get off the phone?" I'm like, "No, I'm having a good time. Like, what else am I gonna do?" I just, you guys are great, and it's like we've got such a good thing going with so many smart people, different perspectives. We just learn from each other. I, I just, I just marvel at this room. It's just, just extraordinary. Um, okay, so hold on. We got uh, Robert had a question. I think Robert. Uh, no, sorry. I just wanted to add a quick comment. I also wanted to mention the HYGH. Uh, but one thing you have to keep in mind is it's fixed income. So you can't look at the like price. You have to look at the total return because it pays a coupon. That's uh, also a common mistake. Yeah, exactly. Like to make. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. All right. So Bobby J, really, like most things in life, there's no shortcut. You're saying we have to go look at the... Yeah, you really do. You want to see the spread. And, you know, we're in the 400, 500 area, and um, we're probably heading to 900. And Marty's also going to talk about his correlation model between the VIX and double B spreads. Hi, Bobby J. This is George. I'm a first-time caller. So I want you to explain, please, if spreads go from 500 to 900, um... What will that do for my Vanguard index fund? Thank you very much, Bobby. Um, you probably should not be investing. <laughs> George, but I, I also want to say something uh, about you, what you've done here. You've taken uh, a lot of people, including myself, because I remember being in rooms years ago in, in meetings saying, George Noble is thinking this at the moment uh, when I was at BEA. And you've taken a lot of people um, from uh, certain beginner knowledge of uh, investing to intermediate. And the one thing I like about this room is we're heading to advanced intermediate over the next year. And uh, as we do that, let's give people more and more tools to um, be able to round out their toolbox. Thank, thank you for those kind words, Bobby. I appreciate it. And again, I, I, I do it because I want to help people. Um, it is fun. But 
I learned a lot from you guys. I mean, I've learned so much from you, Bobby, about credit in the last, you know, six, nine months. We've gotten re- re- renewed our friendship. So, and, and all the other people in here, I mean, Shrubs, I consider a good friend. I mean, Bob's in here, KFAB. I mean, so many great people. M- Michael K., who I'd followed for years but never knew him. I mean, I see Abe. I'm just looking down the list here. These are people I never knew existed before. It's just so wonderful. Um, I'm kind of thinking we're going to end the room, except, except, except. I would like if Schmuckatelli is around. I don't know if he's hearing me, but I'm going to do a room on the Ukraine and the war uh, one of these days. But if Schmuckatelli, he's in the fourth row, is listening, if he could come up and just give us sort of military exploits for dummies, give us. I'm inviting him to speak. So Schmuck, you gotta you gotta raise your hand or or accept the invitation. I think we need we need an update for you. What's going on in the Ukrainian theater? And I just want to just to for those of you who haven't talked heard him talk, no, his real name is not Schmuckatelli. He has the best name in Twitter. Period. I know his real name, but I'm not going to tell you who he is. Um, he has the best name, and also his, his partner in crime, Lafon. I don't think he's here, but if he is, he should raise his hand. Schmuckatelli is um, uh, a vet. I, I thank him for his service to the country. And he's still very switched on in terms of what's going on. He doesn't have any inside information, but he's been in the locker room long enough, so to speak, just like some of us. You know, Bobby Jay's been in the credit locker room long enough. I've been in the equity locker room long enough. Well, I don't pretend to know what's going on in the Ukraine. And people ask me, I'm like, I don't know. That's beyond my pay grade. So I instead defer to people who, yeah, they're not going to know necessarily, but they have a better appreciation and perspective. So Longfall and Schmuckatelli are friends of this room. They provide invaluable uh, insights as to what was going to happen. They called it, actually. This is before the invasion took place. And I remember he's like, nope, they're going to do something. Like, why are you saying that? He goes, look, you don't have to put 150,000 people up on the border to do something if you want us to just scare people. So he's been right. And, and more importantly, he's always got a very thoughtful, balanced perspective on things. So Schmuck, I can tell you without further ado, welcome, my friend. And I think the people are going to be very grateful to hear your sort of updated, uh, you know, updated insights. Thank you, Schmuck, tell George, you like um, a couple other people are like my boss on Twitter. My boss asked me something the other day that I didn't want to do. He said, will you do it for me? I said, my answer to you is always yes. Just assume that because he's a great boss and I have a great position and I'm very, I want to keep it that way. And, um, but I'm going to let you know that I have to leave in four minutes because Shubham is giving a lay down uh, that I am very anxious. I've got my notepad out and I invite all of you to go over to White Tundra and to listen in on Shabam's space. You will learn a ton. He is the yeah, smartest. By the way, let me, let me interrupt. I, I second the motion. For those of you who don't know him, it's at White Tundra, Shabam. So good. That's a hard stop. So you, you've got you've got two minutes, Schmuck. Okay, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna keep it pertinent to the room, and I'm not trying to be mercenary, but this is not ending. So whatever whatever your strategy is, because of Russia Ukraine, it's not going to end next week. It's probably not going to end next month. I heard someone say it may not end this year, and I thought to myself, that's actually uh, reasonable uh, to consider. Um, there are humanitarian atrocities occurring over there, even if it did end tomorrow, which it will not. Uh, these sanctions are going to become multiplied and they are not going away. Abe has spoken eloquently on what's going on over there. He's been pushing steel for 
longer than many have been, you know, 30 years plus, and uh, I've got a great deal of respect for Abe. Uh, so what I'm, my, my general thesis, keeping it to the investment side of the house, is that uh, it's going to get worse. Um, uh, Putin is already uh, escalating after they sunk the Moskva. The Moskva was a major warship, was a flagship of the Black Sea Fleet. I'm a Navy guy. That was a major event, 500 sailors. I don't see mothers demonstrating this is the iron grip that Putin has on Russia. Okay, Um, the cars are still in the parking lot. That means the sailors drove up to the pier, boarded the ship. Those cars are still there. If you want to know the number of casualties on the Moskva, go ahead and look at commercially available overhead satellite imagery of the pier where the Moskva set sail. It is a major, major victory for Ukraine. But in the long run, uh, I think Putin is now going to use this to double down. So um, uh, it's going to get worse before it gets better. Uh, The sanctions are going to continue and multiply, and they're going to last for uh, years, if not decades. Um, and I guess that would be the short two-minute elevator pitch I'd have right. for you right now. George. All right, so Sh- Sh- Schmuckatelli, you and Lafont, I think we back channel message. You guys, I need you to do a war room sometime in the next week or two. I think it'd be really, really helpful. Would, would you be up for that? Yes, sir. Of course, I would. Awesome. All right, listen, that's going to be it. We got a hard stop. Last appeal. Please, please, please. If you got value from this room, please give generously to World Central Kitchen. These people need our help. I think these rooms are value for money or without, without, without peer. Um, and so if you got value, you know, please, I think we've raised a little bit of money here today, 200,000 bucks or something like that. Again, I feel like someone, like you said, KFAB, like I'm channeling my Jerry Lewis, but no personal benefit here. This is the best stuff you're going to find on the internet, period. Please give generously to World Central Kitchens. Please come back Monday with the best Canadian oil analyst in the world, Eric Nuttall. And then uh, Thursday, I don't know if Bobby is the best in the world. I don't know the credit space that well. But two of the smartest credit guys I know, Bobby J and um, Marty Fritzen, we're all going to learn a lot. We're all learning together. I learned a lot from you. I thank all you. Again, please give generously to World Central Kitchen. Thanks very much. And, yeah, go by all means listen to Shabam now. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye.